0: It's recording.
1: When did it start recording,
0: brother? Right now.
1: Okay, Father, we just want to say that we pray for the Spirit to guide us, that we would ask the right that I would ask the right questions, and that we would get to the core of this matter in the name of Jesus. We thank you.
0: We thank you. Amen. Amen.
1: <laughs> okay, so brother, if you don't mind, could you tell me the impression you had when you came into the courtroom and saw your attorney? Was she acting the same way that you would have expected it to? Act since she had already mistreated you on at least one or two, or two occasions, when she was earlier helping you, but later she started to say, "Oh, you don't need the testimony of your the woman you call mother, Cheryl White. Uh, you don't need, um, you don't need that information, and uh, we don't need to go after that five and a half year pop Did she still have that same attitude that uh, you, you were describing to me before?
0: No, she did not have the attitude as she was defending me. She came to me in the fact of a matter of scolding me and saying, why didn't I call her and so forth. And she was making gestures as if I made I had my son stage this all up. She's saying, I don't know what Jessica is going to come at you with. She's going to say this and that. Like if Jessica had an attorney, when Jessica hasn't even gained access to an attorney, she's still seeking legal Legal advice from Pine Tree Legal Um Jackie Gomes was making Assumptions of me Staging this with my Child like if she spoke to Jessica Already in advance And she is more believing of The complainant than the defendant Who she supposed to be defending
1: Exactly exactly. So uh, you just Told me that started to sweet talk to you at the end of this mediation meeting but you talked about uh either just that that was just to make herself look good in front of you and Kathy and so on but overall the same spirit prevailed she was not helping you entirely there was no moment where she decided that she was wrong and that she should have been defending you correct correct she didn't change her tune she stayed the same
0: no our conversation was she was saying how how she defended me and my kids from the beginning and all this. I said, she said, I had, um, I had did this and I had did that. And I said, you used the word had. So that's past tense. I stated to her in that hallway. So is that past tense? You saying had, if you had did this for us, we wouldn't be here right now. I'm stating to myself, but I stated to her, you said the word had, and that means past tense and she got more angry and said, "You know, I you know, I've been with you for this long and you owe me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for defending you when you stated to me and the gentleman, I can actually get a rec- I can get hit- I can get him to actually make a statement with us. I will get hold of him so we can get a recording with him as well. His name is Joshua. And this gentleman is the one who referred me to jo- Jacqueline Gomes and she knew I was under Fire with financial situation And so forth to where she was willing to do Trade of work On her home for helping Me with this case And when she seen She seen me bring another Person with me she was threatened
1: We're gonna back up and talk About this uh, lady uh, Named Jacqueline Gomes Is that correct is that how you spell her name
0: Yes correct
1: Uh, Jacqueline Gomes Uh, caused you to feel very uncomfortable pretty early on when she was representing you over the last, what, two months, month? Yes. And the last two months, you got allegations that you were abusing your children, and so you went ahead and uh, talked to this attorney, and uh, she at first asked for the file on your, who you call mother, who's the aunt to Jessica Pinkerton, your ex-fiance, and
0: she was eager to do that at first was she eager to do that or just going through the motions no I told her about Jessica's aunt Cheryl White saying she's seen my child be abused and she told me to get a letter from her and then when I spoke to Cheryl White she told me that DHS told her that my lawyer didn't ask for no such thing when my lawyer told me in her office to get that letter from Cheryl to bring it back to her so we can present that, and she did nothing with it.
1: So, in between the time that you and your attorney agreed that you would get a letter from the lady you call mother, Cheryl White, uh, to verify the abuse that she perceived uh, in the home. Uh, somewhere between the time your lawyer asked for that and the time that you later found that she was dragging her feet, she, uh, you discovered that the DHHS had been badgering the same lady that had s- submitted this statement saying that she can verify that the one who's accusing you of abuse is actually the one abusing the children. Is that correct?
0: Correct. Correct. And they did not do anything up on it. They did not follow up on it. They badgered her, made her feel small. She told me, and they said, she told me that they told her that my lawyer did not ask for that letter. It was just me doing it on my own. And that's the reason why everybody's acting like I scrutinized this case when it came to bringing allegations towards Jessica Lynn Pinkerton.
1: So, um. Are you telling me that the DHHS not only badgered her, pounded her for doing such a terrible thing of trying to fill in, trying to fit into, uh, you know, uh, uh, your um, testimony just because you asked for it just to protect you? They're trying to make her feel guilty uh, for reaching out to help Don Juan Moses. Um, are you telling me that the DHHS had bothered her for except She shouldn't have done it because the Lord didn't want it. And uh, it was just for doing it for Don Juan's sake. It wasn't for doing it for the truth. Uh, are you saying that the same has also told you that you shouldn't have submitted that file? Uh, uh, How had, had your, um, you know, the, your, the aunt to uh, your ex-fiance put that letter together? Were they threatening you and saying you shouldn't have done it too?
0: They are basically acting like she didn't do it. They act like I staged that as well.
1: Um, explain what you mean do they think that you wrote the letter or that they just had you that you just had your uh, friend uh, uh, Cheryl White write White, that letter yeah
0: they act like she just made that up to help me
1: and so they told you that as well as her is that
0: correct yeah they basically did. they told me by not even reacting on it they act like it did not exist so they never spoke to you
1: about that situation the way they did to her so
0: no they did not say, okay I want to make sure I got that
1: part but the fact that they didn't ever dignify it, never gave it any attention, is what we're bringing uh, the highlight to, is that correct? Correct. Yeah, we're highlighting their lack of, of, of uh, uh, um, zealous you know, investigation, uh, thorough investigation. So uh, when you went to the mediation meeting, it was about finances and how to, who's gonna have time with the children, etc. Was it about that, uh, determining how much time each parent had with the child, or was it just about financial support?
0: It was, going to, it was about going to go into the financial status of things and who had the kids the most and etc. We don't know what the next phase would have been brought into. We was only briefed about it from the last time. But I told him nothing is going on from here until the investigation is done. And the, and the lawyer did not want to actually even speak on it to the mediator until Sister Kathy said something about me being under fire and under the microscope of being interrogated. Of when I have video and audio of my son being abused And no one doing nothing They had got intimidated by her And they made her leave the room After asking me in the beginning Was it okay for her to be present? And I stated yes And
1: not only that But when you stated yes The mediator was glad to let her come into the room, correct? Correct But then later when Kathy highlighted the fact that You were being Uh, targeted uh, falsely targeted uh, and that you have evidence of abuse that the Child Protective Service does not want to see that's when the mediator changed her tune and decided that you were, uh, that Kathy was no longer invited is that correct?
0: Correct and Jacqueline Gomes had to nerve to question me about me if I did go to DHS with these issues before going to my representative and so forth. I said, I do know the chain of command. I did what I had to do, and I'm gonna to continue to do what I need to do because I am gonna to get to the bottom of this with or without you. And what did your lawyer say to that? And her response was defense. I was there for you and your children from the beginning. I had did this, I had did that, I had did this. In so many different ways and saying I owe her hundreds and hundreds of dollars for her defense of helping me and i stated to her if you was helping us i would not be have to go through the statutes of going to my state representative going to augusta speaking to la office because my lawyer denied of what i said and then she tried to refuse that and say i did not say that I said this, and I said, no, you did not, and we got into a big blowout in the hallway because I told her, you denied my son. I told you of this, and then you told me that you wouldn't have recommended if I made these recordings of my son, of what he showed me.
1: She would not dignify a recording? Is that what you're
0: saying? Yes, she did not choose that. She chose not to see the videos. Her action with... Any, any attorney that's defending you Will ask for any exhibit A, B, C, or D She asked about nothing She did not ask about hearing any recordings She didn't ask about seeing any um, videos She didn't care for nothing Yes,
1: and let me tell you, Brother Don Juan Moses That's called lawyer neglect Okay the, the legal term for that is called It's called lawyer neglect It means they have evidence That they know is important to a case But they, they sit on it They treat it as non-existent. Okay. So your lawyer did not defend you in that meeting with the mediator. And the mediator, however, at one point was surprised. When the mediator discovered that you were not a criminal, uh, did she, for a moment, change her tune? Yes, she did. Explain.
0: She was very hostile to the point where she made... Kathy Lowell leave the room and then go further into the case and then we brought about what do I want to happen next and I said a continuance because there's an investigation going on with abuse of my children and she did not know of that and she looked at the the lawyer and asked her why wasn't it anything showing that I was prosecuted for any of these allegations they have made against me and she asked questions about DHS with their investigation against me, and she said they threw it out because it was nothing there
1: Your your attorney said they threw it out
0: because there was nothing there. Yes
1: There you go, and you've got a witness Even though you didn't record the meeting as we were hoping you would you didn't remember to unfortunately nevertheless that That mediator is a witness to the fact that your attorney admitted that they threw that case out? Yes? Yes. Why are you hesitating? You didn't say anything, I'm asking.
0: I was waiting for you to finish talking.
1: Oh, I was just saying that mediator heard your lawyer say that the case was dropped wherever allegations were made against you. Uh, So you have right there proof proof positive that that mediator is honest, she will admit to a judge that your attorney acknowledged that, you're, that they wanted to throw this out. Now, the reason you did not want to throw it out, and the reason you wanted your attorney to follow through with this, is because they slandered your name. They they entered into defamation of your
0: character. For an entire year, they put you on probation. Is that correct? Correct. I had to be supervised visits with my children, like if I was abusive to my children. and there then, you go. And on top of this... My lawyer did not bring any documentation forth towards my acknowledgement of my kids being seen at any doctor. She chose to be my eyes and had Jessica Lynn Pinkerton come back in the room with her and the mediator and sitting there for over 10 plus minutes and come back out. And I seen no documentation of anything and I heard nothing about that documentation. Explain the documentation for the people listening to this recording. Because they don't the know documentation was stating about my children being evaluated by a doctor or a physician, stating my daughter was not physically touched or sexually touched in any matter, and my son was not physically abused in any matter, and I did not see any documentation on this. Yes, your XCSA uh, said that
1: they would go to a doctor and you have no proof and it's now 20 something days later and there's still no proof positive on paper. DHS doesn't, HXS doesn't want to supply the information, your ex the doesn't supply the information, the mediator didn't supply the information, your attorney is not asking for that information to be supplied because she was already dumped by you because she was not doing her job and so you did not even ask her to be involved in getting
0: that paperwork from the doctor, is that correct? correct?
1: But the concern was that these children be looked at, and instead, they went to talk to Jacqueline. I'm, I'm sorry, to, uh, uh, they went over to talk to Jessica Pinkerton, your ex say and the boyfriend, instead of coming to you first and really hearing <laughs> your complaints, as well as seeing the children with a doctor who was not going to be some friend of theirs, and you don't even know if they actually did see a doctor. Obviously, if they did see a doctor, you're concerned about whether that doctor would be prejudiced.
0: Correct. Prejudice
1: in, favor, in prejudice in favor of the mother, who's obviously gonna handpick the doctor if she could. Uh and then you and then she said only one of the children went to the doctor, and then later she changed the story. Is that correct?
0: That's correct.
1: Okay, so we got things slip flopping all over the place here. The most important part of which is that the attorney who's supposed to represent you has been out of the loop now for what, three weeks? Yes. Not doing her job, expecting to be paid for something after dropping the ball on you. She should be paying you money at this point, brother. Uh, from the looks of it, they said, all you need is a little litigation against her. And she'll owe you a lot more money than you owe her. Am I right or wrong? Correct. Why? Because she she committed the the crime of helping Child Protective Services allow children to be abused. Correct. She helped the Child Protective Services to neglect and abuse those children by not investigating whether there was sexual and or physical abuse
0: correct correct and i would love to know what the judge have to say about her not going any further in on allegations about uh, our family member seeing her physically abuse my child and throw him in his crib after beating him up and down his back with only a diaper on because her son mason Tolan carter struck him and my son fell and hit him in the face with his head and he got severely spanking up and down his back and legs and thrown in his crib and told him all done
1: and what uh, age was your son at two that
0: years point? old
1: so this is about two years ago now correct yes and it's only one incident but it's all you need in order to verify that there's a danger posed to children correct
0: Correct, and if she was a danger to my children from doing anything in that factor, my kids would not be in danger now.
1: Say that again if you don't mind. I'm not quite clear on
0: that. I stated was if they listened and did their proper investigation and listened, my kids would not have to deal with being in danger now.
1: Exactly, brother. Exactly. And so... The important thing here is that Child Protective Services has a work to do that is primarily the safety protecting the safety of children. And they have not to this date seen the videos that you produced that you have of interviewing your son where in which he's telling what the boyfriend had done to him first in striking him in a certain place in the body and then later making him an imaginary chair where his legs end up being in so much pain in the middle of the room or wherever he does it that he has to finish cries so he has literally been tortured if this man is still doing what your son is that
0: correct correct now my son has been in a position where he has been basically brainwashed because he is told he was in trouble he stated to, to me that david told him you are in trouble and this is how this man retaliated by doing military procedures on my child and making him stand with his arms out and his knees bent until his arms hurt and he cries. I get it. And this is called you extreme anguish,
1: obviously, Don Juan Moses. I know this. I've personally spoken to you about this. You've told me how absolutely painful it is, as well as how devastating to the point where you have had to pray that you would not uh, want to do something as a normal man would who knows that some new boyfriend is coming in doing this kind of harm to a totally helpless child while your ex explanation is at work, so that the predator is there alone at home to do what he wants to take advantage of these children, either physically and or sexually, as the case might be. And in addition to the fact that there's an uncle to Jessica Pinkerton who drives these children, and so these children there, it might be that the younger girl is exposed to him sexually uh, and not this man. Nevertheless, we know that the boyfriend whose name is David, according to your son, is the one who's been physically, both physically hitting your son initially and now making him go through these military procedures. Correct. Is that correct?
0: That is is correct. correct. So we have
1: had this recording because we want to make sure that we shed some light on what's going on and how the mediation meeting did not address the the real issue. They wanted to carry on as if nothing ever happened and have just a mediation meeting on how much time each person has with the children and nothing else. Is that correct? And was there any agenda to the mediation meeting further beyond just finances and, and that? Or were they trying to tell you that there was some other
0: agenda? No, there wasn't. No, they was basically trying to set it up for in favor of their mother of how everything was set up with the visitings. They argued with me about me taking my children every week. And then in the records, it stated in the writing. Of the documentation that this mediator signed and had both of us sign and go back and, and make it illustrated with the judge in the magistrate that I get my children every other weekend because of my work schedule. And my lawyer badgered me before this mediation about meaning I need to man up and take my kids every week. I have this in text messages as well. Are you telling me that
1: when your lawyer was doing her job initially? <laughs> in the first place, when your attorney was doing her job in the first place, not only did she want that letter from that lady showing that there was a problem of abuse demonstrated by your ex-bf, but that this same attorney wanted you to
0: man up and have more time with your children. Even though I said to her, I work every other weekend, and Jessica has to come pick him up and drop him off every day until Monday comes about so me to drop him back off.
1: attorney we're doing the right thing to try to encourage you to have more time with
0: your children? Is that what you said? Yes, she was telling me I should have more time, and I said to her, it's on the bringing of Jessica Pinkerton. She said it will be too much for her driving back every day, back and forth, time and money consuming, for her to do that. So
1: you decided not to do it because it was Jessica's inability to come because she didn't, or, or she didn't want to come? Yes. But the point you're making is that your attorney, again, was demonstrating earlier on a desire to do her job, which was to give you the full rights of the parent that you could possibly have, as well as proof of danger to the children by the mother, particularly because for the past year, they've been, until they dropped the case, making it, alleging that you were abusive to the children. Is that correct?
0: That is correct.
1: So your attorney was doing her job at first, is your point?
0: Yes, she did her job. She was doing her job and then something changed. You're going to have to repeat that because it came in broken. I said, yes, she was was doing her job in the beginning. We showed how Jessica was telling false stories, her and her mother. And then afterwards, something changed and she was not defending me. I felt that when I told her about my son being abused, she told me that my son would do anything to stay with his loving father. She was trying her best not to pursue this as well, to go down this road of my son saying he'd been abused. And then when we finally get into court on September 27th of 2018, I I go in in this courtroom with her and she says to me, I don't know where Jessica's mind at is with this. She might be coming at you saying that you staged this. Never heard anything from Jessica stating that, but it only came from her mouth, and I felt that she was in defense of the complainant, and not my children, and that made No it. doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Of course, it made you feel horrible, but I want But to if I, done I done. never heard that from Jessica's mouth or the mediator's mouth, how can anyone make that gesture, right? Exhibit A, the mediator never even knew anything of this case until Sister Kathy said something before I did. So how right. is Jessica be able to say something in that defense if the mediator has no awareness of it, but only Jacqueline Gomes?
1: Exactly. The point is that your attorney is supposed to zealously defend you is saying I don't know the details, I don't know what I don't know what Jessica is going to do, but uh, we can presume that she's going to argue that you were coaching your child to say this for the videos to promote your own case. That is not a lawyer defending a client. That's a lawyer representing the other side and that's uh, that's, uh, that's an abomination. Uh, That is a perversion of justice. I get it. But I want to bring it back to another point, please. I want to get back to the question. When did you see a change in demeanor of your attorney and what was the thing that seemed to trigger the switch over? In other words, when did she move from defending you to being your adversary as she was
0: on the, on the Oh, defense. I noticed this when I came to her attention, where me and Jessica was having confrontations in text messaging about issues going on with my children and how I needed them to be examined. And she let Jessica talk to me any old way throughout text messaging, but when I made any statement To defend myself Throughout the messaging And she said No name calling She stuck up for Jessica And say I need to stop And man up She defended Yeah she told me I need to man up And be A better father Or whatever statement She made And that right there Made me angry Of course
1: Because she's suggesting Right in the presence Of your adversary Jessica
0: Who's attacking? who's been attacking you child abuse for the last year the case was dropped here's your attorney saying you need to man up what did she say that for what did she refer to when she said that she was saying that in, in in referring to me telling Jessica that she told me that she didn't want to go through with dropping them off every week because it was too much complication for her driving back and forth and financially so
1: what's you need to man up that means what that you need to have more time with your children
0: but that you yeah. don't have the ability to i don't i don't follow yeah she's told me i need to man up and actually stop talking to her like that and i need to be doing my part and so forth and caring about jessica's welfare of how much time she has to do from there and here with the children and i stated yeah. to her who are you defending okay i'm following you now you're
1: saying that she's Uh, ...saying that you should have been more recognizing how hard it was for Jessica to to, to drive the
0: kids back and forth. No, she wasn't stating that. She was stating, I I should stop making excuses, she stated, basically. And do what needs to be done with getting my kids all that I can. And I said, I respect that. I want every moment I can with my children. But I cannot control the transportation of my children... From their mother, every day dropping them off and picking them back up.
1: Okay, and that's what you said you need the man up? Yes. And so in other words, she was insulting you right in the presence of your daughter.
0: Yes, woman she, yes her. she was.
1: Okay, now I follow you. It took a little bit for me to get this. So the transfer from one who was defending you to an attorney who was now your adversary was somewhere around that time of texting. Is that correct? Yes. And when was that? What time of the year?
0: What year was this? What month? Uh, that was this year.
1: What month?
0: I can say it was early September. It was like the first week or second week after the situation had happened with my son. So
1: this was after you began to complain about your son complaining about David abusing him, Correct. Correct. Okay, so this was a smokescreen, a side issue about the timing and man up. What she was really saying is I'm upset with you because you're now telling me to defend you and defend your children because your children are now being abused by Jessica. I don't want to touch this anymore, is that correct?
0: She basically wanted to go in here, mediate it, and walk away.
1: She wanted you to leave the five and a half year file that your ex-fiance and helps create. Leave it all behind, uh, let bygones be bygones. And, uh, and then this uh, allegation that you offered About your child being abused by
0: David, the boyfriend That was the last straw for her She just couldn't take it, right? Correct I would not be surprised so, if she was to come back in court And want to defend Jessica And if she did that she don't understand how much under fire she would be Because if you could not leave the defendant To go to the complainant Correct
1: uh, so is there anything else
0: you'd like to say before we close this conversation? I have On. nothing nothing further at this moment. Okay,
1: my brother. Thank you for this opportunity and uh, you can turn the recording off. We're done.
2: Ian, I was just very temporarily dozing while applying for a job at the Concord uh, Concord bus line as a baggage handler looking at different things that I could do around here. They would allow me the days to get things done for Don Juan Moses at court and to continue to write and carry on with life during the day. So I might look at the evening work there with the bus. And I fell asleep and I saw flames. And I saw death. The flames is kinda of vague but I definitely saw death. I clearly saw my father and then I thought of Elaine passing. You know, and then of course I'm thinking of Sean. But I'm just thinking of these people passing. And I was startled when I woke up because I was made fully aware of the fact that it's a terrible thing to have somebody taken from you that there's nothing in the world like it. There's nothing more devastating and shattering than having someone that you know and care about and love taken from you. And I immediately woke up with a sense of relief knowing that these people at least died in Christ. But if a person doesn't die with that change of heart experience, one way or another, Sean trying to deal with his stuff and not really, you know, I mean, I wish we could have talked things through. I was coming out of my stuff, and he was still trying to come out of his. Um, But I just want to say to you, Ian, that that revelation was quite shocking just now. It was a realization of the terrible reality of the loss of a loved one from your life. Incredible power of death. And why did I have that revelation? Is it because I think that Elaine and my father, who, I, who are the ones that I was just thinking of momentarily, and then, of course, immediately I'm thinking about my mother and so on, of course. Um, what is the lesson there? Why did I just see that? Why did the Lord permit me to have that vision? Tell me. Help me to explain to Ian exactly what's going on. Why did I just have that? I'm sitting here in the cockpit of my car. I'm up on the uh, console area where there's the glove, that's an extra, not a glove, but a compartment in between the seats. I'm seated there with my head part way out the windows because my driver's door window doesn't work and I like to sunbathe on a good day. I'm at the Whole Foods parking lot, applying for work. Sunbathing. Uh, the day, the sun is in and out today and the weather's fairly nice why did i just see this it was the most frightful the most horrendous the most irreparable irreparable irrevocable reality of a loss the, of the loss the eternal loss of a loved one i believe it's because it's not an eternal loss and it was for me to console you not to think that your mother's been ripped from you but to immediately reject that Not to think that my father has been ripped from me, but to believe that he accepted Christ. And to take obviously very seriously those who are lost, who by a touch of our love, can possibly find their way back to love and to light. It's certainly a warning that way. Let's not forget that when someone dies, they die either with the attitude and an attitude of gratitude, as my mother says, the attitude of the Beatitudes, or they they die in some form of rebellion that incapacitates them from heaven that that uh, disqualifies them from heaven that obscures them, that, that, that that obstructs their entrance into heaven something desperately determinedly rebellious within their character of any kind anything just extreme selfishness or extreme Extremes of any kind. Sexual uh, de- determination to pursue sexual things without asking God to come into the life. Just having that to complete uh, full tilt. Indulgence of the sexual passions. Illicit affairs that involve that same sexual passion. Living by lies. Being covetous. Covetousness is idolatry, which is one of the things that blocks people from heaven, Paul the Apostle says. Covetousness, what is it? It's making a God out of your car, your house, your job, your status, your reputation, your image. Placing policy over principle in the workplace and constantly living by policy so that you can't do the right thing because you're afraid of getting fired or hurting somebody's opinion. That's, a, that's another idol, idol, idolatry. You're focused on your career, your job, and your personal security. I just want to tell you that it was a frightful revelation that was as real as, as, I, as, I, as it is for me to talk to you right now. And it was the realization, Ian... There's nothing you can do about the irreplaceable reality of somebody taken from your life never to be talked to again except for one thing his name is Jesus he he is why we would want to get things right he is the reason why we would want To recognize how good it is to be loved by God, and how wonderful life is when God is in our lives like that Elton John song. Even though Elton's in a misdirected life, and I think he's he might have health issues now, Father, please help Elton to accept the message of grace. He sings a beautiful song. How one, how wonderful life is while you're in the world. Not sure if you ever heard that song, yet, but it's a beautiful one. Don't know the name of it. But there's also another song that I just referred to before that. I can't remember now. But I want you to know you reject that thought whenever you have that terror that you lost your mother. You reject it immediately. It's an attack from the enemy. Okay? Just want to let you know. I love you, Ian. You've got to know one thing. Ian and Sean. I'm sorry. Sean and your mother and my father And Gloria Warner, and your grandmother, Peggy, Peg of My Heart, as Herman used to sing, he loved that song, Peg of My Heart, I love you, Peg of My Heart, I love you. I never heard it myself, but your mother used to sing that. I'll have to look that up. Herman, you saw it on the day that your grandmother passed. Herman came to your mother and said, it's so good to see you. Why did you have that on the day your mother, your grandmother passed? For the same reason I had a dream of your mother the day that she passed. And Ian, I'm glad I just thought to tell you about that. Ian, I have to tell you, it's absolutely amazing. You told me two days later that your mother passed. We were hoping she'd come back too, and we'd pray for her, and that she'd come back. And of course, that's what we wanted. But I had this feeling like maybe this was God's timing. I'm I'm not trying to project things onto things. I'm not trying to control things. I desired only what is best for Elaine, and I know only God knows what that is for her and any one of us. That's why I truly don't worry about how long we're here. A lady named Mama John. The truck's pulling in real tight to me right now. Yeah, I pulled a little too close to the line on one side. It's partly me, but... Anyway, it's good. I didn't get hit. Um... But um I've gotta tell you this. Just as you had a dream that when your mother when your grandmother passed, I had a dream that when your mother when your mother passed, I did. I never thought of that until just now. Just, you know, as I'm talking to you now. And so here's what I want to say about that. Let me say this about that, is what my father and you know, I used to joke about. Um the truth is and i'll tell it to you again because it's worth telling because it's still vivid in my mind even though obviously it cannot have the vividness of what happened just at the time i saw this elevator shaft going into the ground dark lifeless and i i how are you Sorry to scare you. I'm up in the cockpit up here. I yeah, was sunbathing, southern, sunbathing as I told you. Um, so, yeah, my part of my head is outside the, uh, the skylight here, sun sun uh, sunroof. Never had a car with a sunroof. I don't think that, that I owned. So this is a first a lot of there's a lot of functionality in this BMW as long as the engine works I'm, I'm fine even if the doors don't right now and I have to come into the back I'm not gonna fix the doors till I get a job and I'll only do that if this if this car is good enough to fix but it's working and it's luxurious um, I have this amazing experience of looking down this dark elevator shaft and realizing that there was nothing down there of any form of life, but something said to me, don't give up. You go down there, and you look. And I went down deep into this shaft, and what was what was down there? A seedling. Something that had germinated only slightly. It was life. In a place where it could not possibly have been born. It could not possibly grow. And I simply knew instinctively to take that and save it, put it aside. Then I'm in a, 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 a two-story building, as it turns out. But I'm on the bottom floor. I'm in the living room of, of an apartment, so presumably, it looked like an apartment. And there was a, dome, a dome-like dome light uh, in the apartment, I believe. And then the, the, the ceiling started to descend. Things started to open up from the ceiling. And that's the part I don't understand entirely, honestly. But what I do know is that someone stood next to me, and, and mainly, I think it was you. If it were if it were anyone, it was you. But it was you as a child, which Christ says is the only way we can enter into the kingdom. Unless you become his children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. For one thing, if you have revelations from God, they're going to be very different from what you hear in the news and what you learn in school and what you're expected to, to know and to believe and to sense and feel down here on planet Earth. Those guys who hear voices get thrown into the loony bin uh, if they hear too many voices, as you know. And uh, believers can have revelations that could be treated as such. I wouldn't doubt that there have been many that have been thrown into uh, confinement for having had revelations and uh, family members uh, deciding to go go after them uh, with the men in the white coats, all too zealously ready to, to help out. But anyway, to help themselves to the victims, as Elaine used to say, helping themselves to someone. I don't know if you remember your mother using that expression. But... I'm downstairs and I'm stretching my mind to remember the bizarre aspect of this dream. It's all bizarre because God does things way beyond our ken anyway. K-E-N, I think it was a word of our, meaning our capacity <clears throat> to understand. That's why Paul says in his book, of, in the book of Romans toward the end, he says, how unsearchable are God's ways. How past finding are God's ways. He has a way of saving people that, that are hopeless and he has a way of dealing with those who think that they're saved Uh, that's a whole whole other topic right now but the the power of God to do things beyond us is what I'm addressing so whatever's dropping down through the ceiling is perhaps the opening of heaven to earth to the the connection between heaven and earth that that might be part of that symbology For for the for now that's the best I can do so through the ceiling I hear a message I am to tell Elaine the good news that we we are to have a child we will have a child we will have a child. Now you got to remember the little seedling in the in this deep, dark, lifeless elevator shaft. Here I am telling her that we're about to have a child. Remember, she was set up so that she couldn't have. Uh, she she had me fixed so that she would not have to uh, use uh, forms of uh, contraception that would be hurtful to her if it were chemically based and uh, so she had an octopic, octopic, ectopic pregnancy I think is how you pronounce it with you and she, she was in danger of dying if she had a child with us of course so early quite early on well not, not very early on but, but quite early on she insisted that I get fixed which I did it was a frightful thing because I just was scared to death of the fact that I would never be able to have a kid you know and the invasive aspect of it certainly was a good part of the problem and the nightmare of it all. But I guess it was the idea of tampering with nature that was the, the most frightful thing. I mean, God created me to be able to produce, and, and uh, so that was a frightful nightmare. I remember telling Dr. David Bingham, who dealt with this kind of stuff, that was right down his alley. He was, you know, dealing with, uh, I can't think of the name now, but, you know, gynecology, the gynecology and so on. And I, I told him, you know, this happened. He said, oh, I, I, I got fixed as well, and... I said, but I was noticing that they were, sometimes I felt like something was impeded or affected by the, the use of that part of my body occasionally. And it felt, I felt a little bit of pain occasionally and didn't know what that was all about. And, um, uh, you know, he just uh, was blase about it and said, no, there's standard, no, no, there's no, I was asking if there was any disease related to it that was known, etc. He suggested not to be concerned at all. And, but I was terrified enough to share that with my uh, uncle David Bingham, who's very second a very worldly, very material-level level living, not a man who talks about heaven, heaven and Jesus, I, I want you to assure you. Um, but you're standing next to me, I believe, and the message is given by, by a heavenly being, a heavenly messenger, uh, f- without being particularly visible, uh, if, if at all even if slightly, but it's a message clearly conveyed from heaven to earth which I think is why the things were dropping out of the ceiling. It's the the deeper connection with God that we can have in this mundane world down here. I like that, the upstairs and the downstairs game. You know, upstairs is where we're connected. Uh, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for a savior. We're looking for a savior to come from heaven down to earth, and that's why you used to sing Handel's Messiah. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised. Be raised incorruptible, be raised incorruptible.
1: and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. The trumpet shall sound Do-do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do-do-do.
2: And we shall be changed. We shall be changed. And Paul the Apostle tells us that. He's they're singing the words from Paul the Apostle of Christ coming down to from heaven meeting us in the air that the dead shall be raised and we shall be changed the dead shall be raised incorruptible they will not be subject to what your mother was experiencing a leak and by the way that was another revelation I never, never thought of until about a week ago I'll show you the email it was written about two three years ago I'm coming into my mother's house, I'm coming through the front way, Elias keeps me out, my brother Richard keeps me out, so I have to see her in the entryway, which is symbolic of how I've seen my mother. In the entryway of, her, of the family house, not in the living room, not at the table, see. I come in and it's suddenly set up as her deathbed area. And I i recognize that my mother's not able to come to the door, so I come to her, and she lies down or she's already lying down. And I ask if she could move over and I hear the voice, not from my mother, but Elaine saying, your mother's had a leak. Well, interestingly enough, they both had a leak. God knew this and I didn't know it. I knew it only by revelation. Later, I found out that she had a leak. My mother had incontinence as a result of the drugs that she's taking. Now, she was briefed that she'd have to wear a diaper for the last three, four years of her life. That alone would have told my mother, if she's anything like me, I ain't taking the Parkinson's. But she wasn't told the litany of side effects, including increased mental challenges. Not to mention the toxemia of the body, the toxic aspect of drugs, period. I don't think she would have done it, particularly if she had family interested in the Hippocratic Oath to do the patient no harm. And if they had intervened on her behalf and really cared to dare to find out dared to care as my step-grandmother called it to find out what's going on what's the best way to do this what's the least invasive way to help mother but that was the devil's plot and unfortunately my mother is partly tangled up in the devil's web and it is not something from which I can extricate her I've tried it is what it it is to use an expression my father for whatever reason hated Uh, he hated that expression Probably because it's just uh, too lazy a way of expressing things, maybe. But anyway, I just want to tell you that instead of my mother's voice, it was your mother right next to me, saying, I can't move over. Your mother has had a leak. Well, I thought about it. That's what your mother also had. She had a leak. And almost every time I referred to Elaine when I spoke to people for years, and I never told you this nightmare, and it was God's way of speaking to me. I would try to say, "My wife," and instead, my mother—the words "my mother" came out. Now, someone would say that I was thinking of her as my mother, and that's what I used to think at times. And I was horrified. I'd have to correct it on the on the, on the go, and uh, every time it was awkward as hell. But I was horrified as to why it came out of my mouth, and it was because your mother always said, "Jonathan, the real problems you have are between you and your mother. They are not." With your whole family it's your mother and you that need to work things out but again my mother unless she were willing to do that obviously was going to be hamstrung by these other relatives that would try to keep her in bay for me and interfere and even persecute me in their own subtle or blatant ways uh, particularly as things progressed but she can't move over i was going to lie down next to her Um, because she had a leak and it was your mother's voice. I woke up and I'll show you the email. But so getting back to this, we're downstairs in this upstairs downstairs scenario, which shortly will be revealed because upstairs is where Elaine is. And that was the, I had the revelation the very day she passed from this earth to to the next, meaning not literally flying up to heaven. The Adventist has a correct theological and, and biblical concept of death and going to heaven. Instead of an immediate connection with God, which God could do if you wanted to, the teaching of Scripture is that the dead shall be raised incorruptible, as you used to say from Handel's Messiah, quoting from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. But there are other references as well in other places. John chapter five, you can look about it, look at look it up direct from Jesus. Marvel not at not at this. The hour is coming when those who are in the graves shall come up, some to everlasting life and others to the other experience of destruction which is another thing it's not eternal torment eternal fire but it's it's, a, it's an experience like eternal torment because you realize that you're shut out from God it's that very horrifying experience that I was just relaying at the beginning of this recording of feeling that someone is lost forever and you'll never have them back. The beauty is that that's not true for Elaine and that's not true for my father. That's not true for Gloria Warner. It's not true for Peggy and for Herman. God is trying to save as many people as he can. Do not let the devil think that he's trying to disqualify as many. That's what the devil is doing and he's projecting that onto God. So don't buy it, that's the devil telling you, God is that way. That is not true. But I just want to tell you, Ian, that here you are standing next to me as far as I can tell. But it's a child next to me. It's like a young Ian that really believes without any any concerns. And Ian, you said that I'm sorry, someone's looking at me funny because I'm seated on my uh, the middle between my seats here in my car. Um and I'll have to maybe explain myself a little bit. But anyway, I guess they're okay. Um the the fact is this. I was told to tell Elaine the good news that we were going to have a son. A, a child, excuse me. I didn't know if it was a girl or boy. And it won't matter on the other side because we will be as the angels are, by the way. That will no longer, procreation will no longer be necessary. And that's part of the reason that we will not need to uh, consider our sexual apparati at that time, which is very disappointing to people who live for it here. And again, another reason why they have to fry. I'm sorry to have to break it to you, but one of the most pleasurable things in life is the sexual excess experience. I know I've been there. Believe me, I, I can tell you about it. But I can also tell you, and I think you already have, have known, the horrible feelings at moments when you realize, my God, what am I doing? That's right. You talk to God about it and he will help you with it. Fasting, drinking just plain water or having just a fruit meal instead of a meal. Not snacking between meals, which is a great help to the stomach anyway, having five to six hours between your meals, having two meals a day, which means spacing them even further apart as needed and making sure you don't eat your second meal or if you're eating three meals, third meal, um, immediately before retiring. So setting up your schedule, whatever works best for you on the basis of those physiological principles that I need to put in a book. I mean, I just haven't had time for it. Many people have stomach and headaches related to the stomach being abused. And the whole body is tends to be prostrated in weakness because they go to bed on a heavy meal and don't have it fully digested and it happens every single night. Um, because they eat their big meal and maybe two hours later they go to bed. That's not enough time to take care of a large meal. But that's another stuff, topic, of course. But overcoming anything that would dis- disqualify us from eternity, from being with God and operating with in connection with that source of love and light, represented by that big sun in the sky every day, um, we would want to get rid of that if we recognize the deeper perspective that we are here to respond to God's purposes of love not to operate in the selfishness and pride and, and um, materialism of this world uh, which obviously is because something terrible happened and that's the whole fall of Lucifer, excuse me, the fall of Lucifer and so on, another time we can if you ever want to talk about it, I'm always willing but it's you can find it online uh, you're going to hear funny interpretations depending on what extreme you read about but it's All of them were talking about a very clear problem of um, the devil, Satan, who was the highest angel, deciding that he wanted to be at a higher level, that he wanted to be equivalent to God, which is apparently unthinkable. Why would you want, having been appointed as the second next to God himself, to want to, to get to that next level up and be just like God? I don't get it. In all my pride and all my follies and foolishness. And the devil is listening to this now and doesn't like what I'm saying. Because I've nailed him. And he is unfortunately, irretrievably, irrevocably lost. Because he is relentlessly committed to hatred. Because God disqualified him from, from eternal life. He had gone too far. And he was cast to this earth and the serpent in the tree was none other than Satan's agent, which was the most subtle animal of all the creation. He employed the most subtle animal and God allowed it to test Adam and Eve, to test their loyalty and fidelity to God, saying, yea, has God said you shall not eat from all the trees of the garden? And Eve at least honestly said, we may eat of all the trees, but except for this one. But she went on to lie and, and say, the first lie came before she even had the fruit. She was already under the mesmerizing influence of this, the withering influence of Satan. She said, um, But we are not to eat of the f- fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, nor are we to touch it. I don't have the exact words, but she added that, nor are we to touch it. That's a detail that may or may not be important, but it certainly wasn't the original statement that we have recorded. It was just don't eat that fruit. But of course, if you're touching the fruit, you're obviously quite engaged. So that's another point that's not as relevant or serious probably anyway. What matters is, I get back to the revelation. Sorry, I I got way off, digressed. This child is standing next to me, hearing this amazing message. We're both overjoyed. As well you would be as a little boy if you were eight years old or six years old, like when I first knew you, you were six, if you knew you were going to have another younger child, a younger sibling. Especially at that point when you hadn't yet been able to see what kind of a selfish guy I was. But this is a different thing now. This is totally new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, Paul says. I'm having a revelation the day that my wife passes, that we're going to be married in heaven, that we were already together that God was going to bridge that gap that Elaine and I couldn't bridge here. And I began to walk up the stairs to the upstairs to tell Elaine. I just knew she was upstairs. Well, she had. She'd just passed upstairs that very day. I get it now. I think I'll call the book Upstairs, Downstairs because it's a movie series on that, which is a totally different storyline that I don't even know about, but it's a popular thing. I like that, Upstairs, Downstairs. So... I go halfway up the stairs, and I surely am not going to go to her door because I didn't even know where she was for the last five years. I thought she was in North Carolina because the mail had gone from South Carolina up to me requesting a divorce or at one point, and it bounced back to her because I didn't get to the post office soon enough, which reminds me, i got to get back to that guy, finish that up, clean it up. He's been very patient and forbearing with me. He's got my stuff in him. i got to get my things and stuff transferred to Portland. But anyway, post office here, Box. I I very gently tap on the wall and say, I've got good news for you, Elaine. And she comes out without any hesitation because this is heaven, this isn't earth. This is the real Elaine who can see with the eyes of, of Christ fully. Unhampered by any damaging and past painful experiences that she's been through, of which she has been through so many just with me alone. I began to tell her, I I intended to tell her, we're we're going to have a child. And I'm thrilled. But I say instead, and this is the part that was so precious. She knew that I had finally reached my level of spiritual growth. I had reached the highest pinnacle of spiritual maturity and growth and excellence that I could in my life because I'd come back home. I had told her that I am so happy to be with Sean and Ian. Well, now, Sean's passed, so this dream, obviously, is an unusual dream. Elaine had just passed. I didn't know it when I had this dream. And in the dream, I'm saying I'm so happy to be with Sean and Ian. Well, obviously... This is a consolation that crowns all the other consolations I've had, at least 15 over the last number of years since Sean passed. I'm so happy to be with Sean and Ian, and the part I can't describe to you that was absolutely marvelous when I woke up is that I was actually in the presence of God and all the angels and Elaine and Sean. And that's all that I knew, and that's all that I was thinking about—just that, nothing else. You take all the best moments that we had as a family, which were very scarce to find, and, 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 and when we shuffle through and rustle through and deal with the pain of our past, and it isn't even this—doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to the depth of the profound bliss that I was experiencing. I spoke in a subdued voice. I said, Elaine, I'm so happy to be with Sean and Ian. And the look that she gave me, I could never tell you, but I think you can imagine. I think you can imagine how your mother looked back at me, Ian Noble. I want you to know how she looked back at me. Ian, it's worth it to fight the battle, to be a man, in God's estimate, not in man's estimate, to be a man in God's estimate, to have self-control, to put aside all the stupid things, All the prideful things, all the selfish things, all the materialistic things, all the sexual things that would destroy your love for God. It's worth it. I have tears now going down my face. I love you, Ian, and I'm going to pass this on to you real quick. Good morning. This is Jonathan Tucker. And I am recording this morning on the subject of the appeal of Don Juan Moses from the Judge Cashman decision to grant custody of the children to Jessica Pinkerton. I am looking in particular at the document that deals with the corruption of the Court regarding the obstruction of justice by Judge Cashman in preventing Don Juan Moses from having access to the Court to present his witnesses and his evidence. And here is the reading. The Moses Appeal to the Maine Supreme Court Justices. Sexual and physical abuse issues necessitate judgment. Multiple perjuries obstruct pedophilia, child abuse, and mental rape issues. The Jessica Pinkerton perjury relates to the cover-up of sexual and physical abuse of her children. Mockery of justice may be reviewed in-house here in Maine rather than at the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. The Maine Appeal Court Waiver for Late Submission of Appeal Addressed. When Don Juan Moses approached the DHHS on the concern that Jessica didn't care that her son showered with a registered sex offender, the social worker influenced by the primary investigator for the case, Christine Linash, 20-year conflict of interest friends with Jessica Pinkerton, who acknowledged this conflict of interest at trial, already having framed Moses as the abuser of Jessica in order to place the children under Jessica's custody, had a subsequent social worker flatly state on the DHHS record what she more directly told Moses. Just worry about your children. Mason is not yours. Just worry about your two children. I will add to this document a detail. His attorney repeated and parroted those very words. You worry about your children, Mason is not yours. Showing the corruption, the collusion, the conspiracy of Jacqueline Gomes' attorney with the DHHS, who was 20 years a guardian ad litem, whose job as an attorney was to ensure the safety of children and was expertly trained in that arena. And yet she hears of a sexual predator, a registered sex offender showering with Jessica's son, whose children are in question, in terms of their safety, and the mother's credibility is in question concerning her suitability for parenthood, her fitness for parenthood. And we see that this attorney repeated the same words, just worry about your children, Mason is not yours, just worry about your two children, leaving the sexual predator accessing Having free access to the older child of Jessica Pinkerton. This conflict of interest is enough to close a decent trial down and punish DHHS. Yet, amazingly, significantly, the DHHS corruption of the chain of command is evident in telling abundant repeated perjuries. To avoid what the DHHS file record says, that the attorney Jacqueline Gomes and Don Juan Moses were both alerted to the abuse of power and corrupt ruling that they were told not to address the fact that Jessica's son, Mason, showered with the registered sex offender since he is not Don Juan's son. I put a footnote in to say that this is on the DHHS record itself available for the appeal court. We are alerted to many reasons why Judge Cashman needed to examine the details of obstruction of justice on many fronts to block the review of the pedophilia issue, so inflammatory, so obvious, which she duplicitously avoided by cutting off Moses when she broached the topic gingerly and deftly. We cannot fail to see perjury covering perjury of many, including Christine Linash, Taylor Cipriano, who, and who took over the case after Kelsey Harfouch seized the children from Moses while he was at work, and Kelsey Harfouch herself, who was the person in between Christine Linash as investigator and Taylor Cipriano as the permanency worker creating a false narrative of Moses as abusive of Jessica and therefore threatening to the children as a basis for placing the children in a different home under Jessica. This seizure of the children, unless ordered by a secret court order not known by Moses, was conducted without a warrant, without probable cause, Jessica delivering the children to Kelsey Harfouch, then deceitfully calling Don Juan Moses when he was at work and pretended to be concerned about what she herself had carefully with DHHS plotted and orchestrated, saying that the DHHS intended to take the children, offering crocodile tears. When Moses naturally concerned himself with the appropriateness of Jessica Pinkerton to parent the children, addressing this matter of dereliction, the DHHS, then under Taylor Cipriano, the permanency worker, he was advised to take care of his biological children and not the older child from Moses, from Jessica's prior relationship. The reason DHHS was insistent on telling Don Juan Moses and his attorney that they had no right to discuss the older child, since Don Juan Moses is not his father, was not challenged by Moses' attorney, who admits, "I know that the DHHS is biased. DHHS is biased in this matter, but it is not my work to defend you." in this matter, in a statement recorded for the appellate court. The transcript of the Moses Pinkerton trial replete with perjuries by the DHHS investigator, DHHS permanency worker, school social worker, Dr. Dewey, the Spurwink child abuse program manager and referral coordinator, and Jessica Pinkerton demonstrates a pattern of obstruction of justice in order that the state of Maine may not have to look at the detail not only annotated on a state document, in the DHHS file no less, and made an exhibit by Don Juan Moses, which was trashed by Judge Cashman, but is verified by the acknowledgment of Jessica Pinkerton that the boy did shower with the pedophile, acknowledged in the trial itself. I will pick up on the rest of this document later. But that is enough for you to consider the seriousness of the Moses versus Pinkerton trial and the need at the appeal court level to arrange for a correction of facts and to arrange for the opportunity not only for justice for Don Juan Moses and his children, but the opportunity for justice across this country and, yes, across this world. It is a matter of extreme gravity that the Supreme Court of the State of Maine is not considering the procedural due process concerns of Don Juan Moses in stickling regarding his failure to file his brief in a timely manner, despite the fact that he filed his complete brief within two weeks of the deadline. It is a gravely unconscionable decision of the judges to dismiss his case in light of the fact that the allegations are so significantly documented regarding the aggravated crime, not only of pedophilia perpetrated on a child involved in this case, since the mother of the two children in question has an older half-brother to those children who is the subject of the pedophilia issue addressed by DHHS in their own file. Because the DHHS never reported this matter to the police and the police acknowledged this through Chief Janine Roberts in an interview recorded for the appeal court, which is also acknowledged on the DHHS file regarding DHHS never contacting the police regarding this case, which includes never contacting the police with regard to the pedophilia issue of the boy continuing to be babysat at the predator's house where the babysitter already allowed the boy to shower with the perpetrator. Shows the serious implications of finding fault with Moses for the technicality that he filed his brief two weeks late, especially noting the hypocrisy of this action in light of the fact that Jessica demonstrated along the process of court proceedings regarding the custody and the rights and responsibility of parents that the courts had the right to take custody from Jessica Pinkerton in light of the fact that she did not show up to a mediation meeting. And in addition to this, the court has a transcript record that Jessica Pinkerton did not have the timely supplied material regarding subpoenas regarding exhibits, and yet the court is concerned about a technicality of a two-week delay in filing a brief while Moses has submitted his other material not only in a timely manner but very early on supplied the material which itself would be sufficient to compose the brief. So meticulously laid out are the evidences of perjury, of obstruction of justice, and fraud upon the court perpetrated by Judge Cashman. In fact, in one of his points submitted for the appellate court, Moses affirms that the material submitted, which was decried as too extensive for the reading of the appellate court, was sarcastically and sardonically described as not only being too much for them in the initial presentation, but that he would have to submit something new for the court that would be within the confines of the 50-page limitation, which itself has a waiver that they were not willing to suggest in the event that somebody needs to exceed the 50-page limit. irritation by the justices of the Supreme Court of Maine. This contemptuous mockery of the necessity for immediate intervention in behalf of his children, despises the reality that Moses, without being able to obtain an attorney, took two weeks longer to have his brief filed for the court. The persnickety obsession with the concern for tardiness in submitting a brief without having an attorney as a self-represented litigant does not comprehend the significance of Moses putting together a brief which is compelling and convincing in order for him to save his children from physical and sexual abuse. The procedural due process requires of the court the attention to the fact That the costs, the collateral damage, the implications of violation of due process is evident in the damage implied to not only the children of Don Juan Moses, but his family and his religious liberty rights to be safe and secure with his family, namely his children, who his ex-fiancee intended to seize and kidnap from his house without probable cause. The effect upon the family of Don Juan Moses himself and his children is of necessity to be taken into cognizance by the venerable court bound to the constitutional rule of procedural due process in making a decision regarding a self-represented litigant framing his own brief the appellate court of the state of Maine is bound by the rules of procedure which refer to the importance of recognizing unanticipated emergencies and or a combination of issues and exigencies, which would itself constitute a reason for an extension in time to file his brief would display sufficient evidence of extenuating circumstances for the court. Since the court made the presumption that Don Juan Moses had an experience of perceived persecution at work, contemptuously disdaining and declining from interviewing Moses or requiring further information, the court is demonstrating its violation of the due process rights of Don Juan Moses and the procedural, the rules of procedure of Moses in the Moses versus Pinkerton appeal case the venerable Supreme Court of the state of Maine is held by the citizenry accountable to Recognized by the rules of procedure and by procedural due process and due process that Don Juan Moses in filing his brief for his appeal two weeks late is to be accorded the respect and the attention and the diligent inquiry of this court in order to ascertain whether his condition and challenges and issues are sufficient to demonstrate unanticipated emergencies and or exigencies that would justify and necessitate an extension of his time to file his brief. This court that the citizens respect and demand justice from this court that allows a citizen to appeal a wrong decision by a prior judge under The due process, as well as the rules of procedure, constitutional principles may not trivialize the question of the credibility of his Issues presented as unanticipated issues which have caused his two-week delay in filing his brief. The significance of The aggravated offense, the travesty of justice, indeed the mockery of justice, of the Supreme Court justices pretending to investigate and to properly weigh the evidence of his appeal to the appellate court. to understand his reasons for delay is evident in that the court has presumed that the combination of issues is insufficient to rise to the level of significant unanticipated issues which would delay the filing for his brief. Their incompetence, their pretense of compassion, their pretended scrutiny of his matter in order to arrive at the truth of the credibility of his statement or the truth of his ignoble manipulation of the system, or as they phrase it, a want of application to accomplish what he should have accomplished, is clear for the following reasons. The appellate court has made the assumption that the combination of these issues taken together are sufficient to cause a delay, particularly in light of the presumption that persecution at his workplace for having compassionately intervened and advocated for the residence at the Barron Center on Brighton Avenue in Portland was never given the scrutiny that it deserves when they presumed that Don Juan Moses persecution there was a perceived persecution at work this indolence manifested this laziness and ineptitude manifested by the supreme court of the state of Maine in in presuming that he expressed a perceived persecution at work implies that Moses could very well be lying to the court by presenting this excuse and that Moses furthermore in their Sardonic sardonic aloofness had actually earned the disciplinary actions intended against him by Baron Center officials and administration. This idle speculation on the part of the Supreme Court demonstrates dereliction of duty, not only on this count regarding the extenuating circumstances of facing his job security and his human relations issues at work, requiring him to deal with that matter, taking up time away from his appellate court responsibilities as a self-represented litigant, comma. But It begs the question whether the other issues presented, taken together with this verifiable persecution are sufficient to constitute unforeseeable issues of weighty enough concern to verifiably prove that he was, in fact, distracted from the task at hand. When the venerable Supreme Court of the state of Maine is given the opportunity to look at at least five major reasons for a delay in filing a brief, and these five reasons demonstrate significant distraction from a task at hand, it is under requirement of the procedural due process, the due process and the rules of procedure constitutional law and statute law, to observe the significance of his appeal to the Supreme Court for consideration, for comprehension, and for justice in allowing him access to the court to explain the issue sufficiently so that they might make an intelligent and reasonable and just and unbiased decision in his behalf and in behalf of Jessica Pinkerton and the children. The failure of the judge who signed the dismissal of the appeal representing the justices for the main Supreme Court. The refusal, the hasty presumption to dismiss the matter without reviewing it, as represented by the single justice speaking for the other justices, places the justices of the Supreme Court of the state of Maine in jeopardy of violating the procedural due process rights of Don Juan Moses and the court and the rules of procedure the major points addressed by Moses that he is moving out of his house his trailer into his car involving time putting things in boxes, involving locating a place to put his things, involving hiring a realtor, involving arranging a new place to place his papers and his court documents, and circumscribing his conditions of life so as to limit The efficiency of the process of filing his brief. All of these things are comprehended in his eviction from the trailer park and the necessity within a time limit to sell his trailer, falling at the very time when he was to file his brief. The incomprehension of the Supreme Court of the state of Maine on this count as the other counts Is treachery in dismissing the concerns of physical and sexual abuse of his children and his religious liberty rights as those of his children to an integrated and protected family. Don Juan Moses has experienced the need to deal with the whistleblower issues at his work, which means he has had to scrutinize the issues at hand, and he has had to cast about to find An attorney that might deal with that issue which would involve damages such that a court appointed such that a court attorney would be more likely to take his case than has been his results in trying to get a pro bono attorney for the case dealing with the main appeal court. The main appeal court refuses to take into cognizance this reality that Moses, in facing real persecution at work, demonstrable for the court that it refuses to consider in terms of the details of the evidence. is that Don Juan Moses has a case that involves a lawyer who will demonstrate that he is being persecuted for righteousness sake at work because he insists on the demands made upon his calling as a certified nurse's assistant To ensure that every resident under his care is given the proper care required by law. And since he has called the hotline and followed through with the proper authorities within the chain of command and has properly connected with the parties responsible for discipline at the Barron Center regarding infractions of laws regarding the care of residents. He has undertaken a project by itself that would by itself be sufficient for this court to explain his delay. Moses' other issues were addressed because they add further weight to an already untenable circumstance of trying to get a brief in on time for the appeal court. The other issues, instead of taken together with the issues significant by themselves to verify the reason for his extension to file his brief of two weeks, comma, demonstrates that the court, instead of recognizing the logistical nightmare of all of these things added together to make his circumstances fraught with unanticipated responsibilities and cares and anxieties. And yes, even the stress that they mockingly and contemptuously referred to in their reason for dismissal of his appeal. All of these things taken together were to be the proper approach of the appellate court which instead stingingly petulantly and haughtily dismissed and disdained in each particular that is listed in the reason for the dismissal every significant issue whether of extreme gravity and weightiness or adding to and piling on to the issues already sufficient of themselves to constitute a reason for a waiver, slapped down systematically, each in its turn, and rejected out of hand, summarily, and without the least contemplation or compassion demonstrates the despicable and notorious dereliction of the justices and or justice who reviewed the extenuating circumstances presented by Moses. If the appellate and the subject of his issues is of such gravity that the appeal court must consider the level of offense referred to in his case against Jessica, the mother of his children who has the custody of the children, if his concerns relative to the safety and welfare and protection of those children and the jeopardy posed to those children, should they not be protected, is of such gravity and magnitude and weightiness that the court must review the harm implied in a failure to grant Moses a two-week extension for filing the brief, which he has complied with. in submitting his brief within the two week period if the court refuses to recognize the damages the collateral damage and the immoral and depraved implications of placing children in continued jeopardy of physical and sexual abuse in a matter that the police were supposed to investigate by law, and which the DHHS, as mandated reporters two years ago, were supposed to submit for the police to investigate regarding a registered sex offender named James Buzzle showering with Mason, the son of Jessica Pinkerton, it behooves the Supreme Court of the state of Maine to recognize the constitutional and statute basis for their need for an immediate reversal of their decision to dismiss the appeal of Moses for an extension of two weeks to file his brief. The due process federal and state requirement places upon Supreme Court justices the simple rule that they must take under advisement and must scrupulously engage in comprehending the significant extenuating evidence details as stated in the main rules of procedure as a as the explanation for the delay And the importance of the Supreme Court recognizing procedural due process, which is to comprehend the level of offense in making a decision To dismiss the appeal of Don Juan Moses in terms of the gravity, the weightiness, and the heinous atrocity of placing the children in jeopardy of physical and sexual abuse is required by these laws, both federal and state. the notorious depravity and dereliction of the Supreme Court justices in failing to recognize the damages not only of the registered sex offender, but of the boyfriend who punches the five-year-old boy in the genitals every night when he puts the child to bed when the mother is at work, which is a matter corrected by Jessica once the matter was presented to DHHS so that her hours shifted to the evening as verifiable for this court. Yet, allowing the predator, the DHHS allowing the predator to remain available to that child by dismissing concerns of child abuse, presented on video and acknowledged by Judge Cashman as a distinct, striking, punching movement made toward the genitals, as demonstrated by the child himself when the father asked him what he did to him, is sufficient evidence of the depravity of trivializing a matter of such grave magnitude and concern. The pedophile and child abuser living with Jessica Pinkerton, whose evidence of physical and sexual abuse is presented for this court already in scrupulously and diligently laid out details. The mockery of justice of contemptuously dismissing all of the prior work of this appellant on account of the technicality of a two-week delay explained and exonerated and exculpated by obvious unanticipated emergencies and additional exigencies cannot be interpreted as anything but a mockery of justice in violation of the due process and the rules of procedure concerns that lie before the Supreme Court justices of the state of Maine. The only reasonable remedy for the contemptuous refusal reminiscent of Moses and Aaron coming before Pharaoh, requesting, demanding that Pharaoh let God's people go. The only proper remedy for this notorious example of high-handed judicial abuse of power is for the Supreme Court justices of the state of Maine to acknowledge their error in their precipitate and rash treatment of the exculpatory evidence provided by Don Juan Moses to this venerable court. It is requested of this venerable court that the justices take the due diligence time necessary to review the exculpatory evidence to prove that he must be reasonably accommodated in allowing him the two-week delay it took to supply the appeal brief and requiring that the Honorable Court apologize for pretending to be compassionately and scrupulously and impartially engaged in a matter that they have obviously not reviewed. The proverb that states that he who judges a matter before he has reviewed it commits folly is applicable to the justices of this court. He who answers a matter before he has understood it has also committed villainous subversion of the rights of citizens in the interest of convenience and prejudice. And what when such decision is made by the highest judges of the highest court in the state of Maine, the damages are inconceivable in extending the offenses of the children placed at jeopardy and the family that has been pulled apart by such atrocity of indifference on the part of the court. An atrocity which requires Don Juan Moses to appeal to the Supreme Court in Washington, DC. If this presumably venerable court fails to honor the rights of, of this citizen and the rights of his citizen children. It is requested and it is demanded of this venerable court that it operate in accord with the principles which alone allow this court to be respected and venerated as the highest court in the state of Maine. The court of appeal that allows for redress of grievances, correction of record, address of judicial errors. And yes, despite the opacity of the court to deal with the reality, the treachery and the ignominiously egregious betrayal of Judge Cashman in treating the Moses children as cash cows in protecting the careers, the budgets and the salaries of DHHS workers and other organizational workers by refusing to look at the perjuries which cover the sabotage of the rights of this family in the interest of placing the children in the jeopardy of physical and sexual abuse The momentous decision to do nothing by the highest court of the state of Maine demonstrates that it participates in the physical and sexual abuse of these children by its apathy, its neglect, its inertia, and its refusal to engage the rights and interests of citizens, both of Don Juan Moses and of Jessica Pinkerton, and the perpetrators of physical and sexual abuse, and the children, the rights and privileges of each of these parties to due process, to proper scrutiny, to acquittal, and to punishment. This defiance of these rights and interests, both of discipline and reward, of acquittal or conviction this denial of the proper process of court in order to ascertain the details at hand demonstrates that the highest court in the state of maine is indifferent to the constitutional rights of Don Juan Moses and his children, as well as those of his adversaries, to have a proper and a fair and an impartial proceeding that requires extra time and effort at the appeal court level, and even in the extension of a two week delay to file a brief. The refusal of this court to recognize the aggravated crime of leaving children jeopardized under physical and sexual abuse conditions, as verified by the police acknowledging, along with DHHS themselves, in the Portland, Maine area, under Chief of Police Janine Roberts and under permanency worker Taylor Cipriano, Statements made to the effect that neither agency was contacted regarding the Jessica Pickerton Don Juan Moses custody and domestic abuse concern issues as they impact the concerns of the children and in connection with the parental rights and responsibilities evidence with regard to the critical issues never addressed. Of physical and sexual abuse by the police which impact the parental rights and responsibilities to the extent even of placing the custody of the children with a parent who is interested in protecting the children from such physical and sexual abuse and removing the custody entirely from the parent, who has demonstrated a depraved indifference in allowing those children continued access and exposure to two separate predators. One, a registered sex offender annotated on the DHHS file itself. The annotation of the DHHS file is not only that a registered sex offender showered with Jessica's son, Mason, the half-brother to the two children that Don Juan Moses and Jessica have together, comma. But the attestation of a continued exposure of that older half-brother to Jessica's uncle, the registered sex offender named James Buzzle, is an acknowledgement by the DHHS that they failed to report to the police this pedophiles exposure to the children and furthermore in egregious violation equal to the failure as mandated reporters to report such incident or incidents has the temerity and the audacity the unmitigated goal to place that child with the same predator claiming that since the child does not stay overnight at the house, but is only babysat during the day, that the appetites of this perverted man who was already given access by the babysitting wife, Carol Buzzle, would not be the same in the day as in the night and that only as the boy is staying overnight would the boy be jeopardized by this registered sex offender, acknowledged by DHHS as already having showered with this boy. In addition to this, not only is Don Juan Moses and Jessica Pinkerton and Jessica Pinkerton's mother and stepfather and uncle, the predator himself, and his wife, Carol Buzzell. Jessica's aunt, not only are all of they aware that the boy announced that he was showering with Jessica's uncle, but Brittany White, Cheryl White's daughter, attests also to the boy stating to his mother that it makes him feel terribly uncomfortable to have to shower with his uncle. And she attests that when Jessica asked, what does Carol Buzzle say about this? The boy stated, nothing. Brittany White is willing to be a witness to the fact that Jessica in depraved indifference, dropped the topic at that and showed no astonishment or natural concern as a mother for such unconscionable conduct on the part of the babysitting aunt the refusal of the babysitting aunt to demonstrate concern for the boy as noted by Brittany white and the announcement of that boy that me and shower me and broski uncle james buzzle shower right here, pointing to the handicapped shower where they showered are issues that command the attention of the Supreme Court for the state of Maine. Good morning. This morning I'm Thinking about a very strong conviction that came upon me just now as I was in and out of sleep. True judgment is to look at a situation, a circumstance, a problem between parties. not with readiness to seize upon distracting details but to look at the overarching theme and to, and to focus in on the major issues one of the major problems of what we think is justice is the immediate seizure upon sensational details that can incriminate the innocent and clear the guilty it happens altogether too often it's one of the problems of organized judicial crime if the judge or some other judicial system like the DHHS makes a determination, an adjudication based on a prejudicial or biased agenda. It must seize upon anything which can lend credence to their narrative. The deployment of false witnesses, fabrication of of evidence, falsified documents, what you call tainting of witnesses and witness tampering, any number of other shenanigans or strategies that can be used to forward a particular narrative are easily and readily employed by the DHHS, unchallenged by the average citizen. Unfortunately, There has not been a proper review of how the system works. There has not been a proper review within the public eye, within the public scrutiny, to popularize and to clarify the corruption of the DHHS vis-a-vis its approach to child abuse and children in custody and adoption. There have been clearly things written about it. I've seen it online very briefly in scanning some of the things out there and perusing a few things even. But it's an underground kind of uh, marginalized media. It's not in the mainstream media for obvious reasons. The Department of Health and Human Services Is one of those major organizations which has been given sweeping powers to determine what is best for citizens. And there's a general fear, if not revulsion, at the prospect of challenging the system or even scrutinizing the system or even discussing the system on the part of the average citizen. When we are talking about citizens of conscience, that is, even amongst them, there is a tendency to be very careful how one approaches the sweeping powers of the DHHS. It's a David and Goliath scenario. It's an awareness that everybody is quaking in their boots as this uncircumcised Philistine head and shoulders taller than anybody in the Israel army is calling for somebody to come out and fight him and the victor would be the represent the victor in battle itself uh, just on the basis of who wins in a fight But what I saw, and I want to get back to it very briefly this morning, as I started to doze and woke up with a very clear impression, thinking I'd better jot this down and in this case, share it. I was thinking, I was brought back to Tamara Clark, saying that she never drinks, forced to lie by the system, knowing that if she said she drank even once, Deborah Paradis, the permanency worker for DHHS, would be able to corner her and destroy her. And so there was an indication that Tamara Clark was lying by saying that she never drinks when there was an evidence that she had fallen in the snow or was pushed into the snow or slipped and was taken advantage of by the police in respect to treating her as considerably drunk outside of a bar-slash-restaurant in Camden, Camden, Maine. What the details of that story are, one can only guess, but Tamara Clark told me that they were accusing her in a manner that was wrong, at, at a minimum, in the fact that they were finding fault with her when she had slipped on the ice. The point of the judge is that should she have been drinking, and not telling the truth even to Jonathan Tucker, not telling the entire truth even to Jonathan Tucker, the one who was advocating for him, that is myself. The point of the judge had a devastating effect on the guardian ad litem attorney, Lisa Lattes, who proceeded to enter into a, a, an hysterical fit. A strange uncontrollable laughter. When the judge asked her, is it not possible that a mother would lie in order to get her kid her child back? Tamara Clark says that Lisa Lattes continued in a bizarre, a freakish hysteria for an extended period in reply. If I recall finally conceding yes, Yes, it's true, a mother could lie to get her child back. But that begs the important question. When Solomon took up a sword to determine who is the true mother, who was the true mother of the two prostitutes, one of whom had rolled over and killed her own child during the night and therefore accused the other of having killed her child and claiming the living child as hers. So, of course, there's this challenge to Solomon on the part of these two women as to who is the true mother. He says, let me cut the child in half and give each half to each of you. And, of course, the true mother protested, and he hands the child over to the true mother. The true mother protested, saying, give the child to the other woman don't cut the child that's the mother why because the true mother does not can, cannot imagine cutting her child in half whereas the false whereas the false accuser said that's that's okay cut the child in half we'll each get half so how do we cut that gordian knot today how do we deal with that kind of false accusation and uh, Uh, The the context of immorality, these are both prostitutes facing Solomon in the Old Testament. Solomon isn't dealing with their immorality now. He's dealing with the morality of whose child it is. Naturally, in, in a godly state, the next question for Solomon would be to engage these ladies to recognize the benefits of moral purity. But they weren't in court regarding their adultery. Their fornication, their prostitution. They were in court, in court regarding the question of child custody, stewardship of the child under God, who's who's the lawful parent. So, when we look at child custody today, and we consider that Tamara Clark might have lied regarding her drinking, saying that she wasn't drinking anymore when in when in fact, there was some argumentation or, or, uh, at court and uh, within the social service meeting context as to or question or agitation concerning whether she was lying regarding drinking. I was in the car when tomorrow, in the one incident, I recall her having been on the phone when I was with her uh, speaking with her cousin, Marcia. I heard Marcia say they would drive anyone to drink. And that, in, in connection with what the judge said, is very important. Would not a, a mother lie in order to get her child back, a judge asks. And Marcia, on the other side, says the DHHS would drive anyone to drink the way that they're harrying you and burdening and badgering you, stymieing you, ridiculing you, browbeating you into obedience, humiliating you. For example, Tamara Clark, when she visited her child, making special trip to get down to Demerskata from Camden, a considerable drive, was having no wheels, left to stay at a public park, which was fine with her, but she was required to carry the baby seat with her while she carried her son, while she carried the bag of tricks or toys to amuse the child, that's the kind of humiliation, that uh, the unspeakable degradation that is evident throughout the DHHS interaction with the, with with tomorrow. It was all she could do to manage to carry these different things across the street, probably and across, certainly you know, some distance from the park to wherever she had to go to report back for duty. Or however it worked, she had to move obviously at points and make herself a spectacle. She did not need the car seat when she was let off from the DHHS into the park in Damaraskara to see the child. But that is the kind of humiliation that took place. So what is it that I saw this morning that I, I come back to? It is that justice requires that you look closely at the entire picture and not get distracted by those things that could end up becoming the picture for political judges for a political DHHS for a political permanency worker like Deborah Paradis who clearly was browbeating and lying to Tamara Clark intimidating her because she had gone to a different drug counselor and Deborah Paradise afraid that the new drug and alcohol counselor, because tomorrow was affected by alcohol, not drugs, according to what she told me, might actually help her to overcome the addiction. And that was not in the interest of Deborah Paradis, who was trying to frame her as being a drinker and therefore an incompetent mother. So this video on YouTube with about 180 hits or so since I last looked at it uh, at the time of my last viewing of it apparently caused some stir at the time that the question ultimately was whether the child would be delivered permanently over to the adoption in attendees which it did under the simple stroke of a pen of a of then Attorney General Janet Mills who is now the governor who obviously, completely dismissed the material submitted for the court, if she even looked at it, material that I had submitted regarding interviews I had with her, cut the copies of which I was willing to make available for Larry Fryer, her attorney. And when we came to the house to offer him the stack of papers to be copied so he could get his copies, <coughs> he said he didn't have a functioning printer in his house. And this is, mind you, a castle-sized house in Rockland. Certainly not embellished by all the fineries of uh, a manicured lawn and and, uh, well-kept, properly maintained building and environs, but nevertheless a man of significant means enough to be occupying a good part of a city block in Rockland, Maine. And he says he doesn't have a functioning printer. He's an attorney, he's an attorney at law. And so we didn't leave him a stack, the stack of papers, that, that whatever it was, a half inch to an inch or inch and a half, two inches of papers that we had filed with the court in Rockland, Maine. Obviously, he did not want to touch this true advocacy because he was the attorney for her and had dropped the ball. In fact, his argument when we visited was It's often much better for a child with a mother that has serious disabilities to be placed in a home where he can have the advantages and opportunity of a really solid education. What did that attorney miss? The same thing that the judge missed, the same thing that Janet Mills missed, the same thing that the DHHS permanency worker and investigators missed, the same thing that the legislators who who ignorantly empowered the DHHS to take children from parents on those uh, in the penumbra area of uncertainty as to whether abuse is implied in the two things that were used with Tamara Clark. One, her presumed presumed disability, mental disability, and number two, her problem with drinking, neither of which were provable, neither of which were demonstrably a problem. There are mothers who drink. That does not an alcoholic make, nor does it, An abuser make, as we certainly know. So what is it getting back to the core problem? The core problem in a judicial setting for the DHHS first, because they are a justice system unto themselves, a law unto themselves, an unruly and rogue system devised both maliciously and ignorantly by legislators who were too lazy to study the Constitution and, and to ensure that it be adhered to in, in its particulars. We look at the DHHS and the judicial system as having powers to take children from parents and, issue, and give them to other parents or, or to adoption parents. And we assume that their word is final because their judgment must be uncannily infallible. We, we make that presumption. We have that naivete in our culture, in our society. We've been taught. We've been schooled. We've been classed in, into the system of believing that because they went to school, they are the authority figures. They must be right. Or we don't care if they're right or wrong, they are the authority figures, and therefore it has to be done, period. Or third category is we don't care whether they're right or wrong. And we don't care at all. What happens? And those are the three general categories of society. But what we are interested in is what is conscientious justice? What does it mean? What does it look like? To look at the fact that Tamara Clark might have lied regarding her alcohol intake, comma. I say comma sometimes, excuse me, that's because I'm used to dictating voice to text on some of my uh, writing through my phone. So I apologize for that. But we are looking at the fact that people can even lie in the process of a judicial arrangement and be caught in that lie and therefore be deprived of, of, of a child on the basis of having been caught in a lie that I do not drink when we've proven here and here and here that you have drunk. And that's why the judge did a wonderful thing before either that judge or another judge turned on both Tamara Clark and her child in persecution by the state. When that then-benevolent judge said, could not a mother lie in order to get her child back? meaning saying that she would ne- she never drinks because obviously you people at DHhs are saying that she's drinking and therefore her child should be taken. She's an irresponsible mother. She's a drinker. She had been depicted as a woman out of control and therefore completely uncaring for the child and or too distracted by alcohol to be a considerate conscientious, effective, committed, competent mother. That's the problem. They had made an assumption that the fact that she had drunk alcohol during the course of time, extended courses of time, when she couldn't see her child is proof that she would drink if her child were home and that she would drink to the injury of that child. Naturally, DHHS was not interested in the fact that was addressed by Tamara Clark's cousin Marcia on the phone that day when I overheard on speaker. The DHHS would drive anyone to drink. That was a classic statement, and it's absolutely true. Of course, it's not absolutely true in the fact that people can choose not to allow someone else to make them do anything. But it's also equally true. And that's why the truism is expressed that someone could drive anyone to drink. In this case, the DHHS, it's a truism in this sense that a person who's already overwhelmed, who's lost her child to the state, who has a woman taunting her in the family team meetings, gloating over the fact that she's already had several foster children and is much more capable, therefore, than she is to raise this child, a taunt that cannot be answered by this poor woman who's never had a child before and who is proven to be, in that sense, inferior to this woman and in the most arrogant exploitation of extreme prejudice and persecution by the state supported by Deborah Paradis, the permanency worker presiding over these social service meetings. Of course she's more experienced. She's already had children before. But that does not a parent make, nor does it uh, entitle her to the adoption of a child that belongs to another woman. So again, what we look at is not the occasional drinking of Tamara Clark or her mental disabilities, whatever they might have been, which is not thoroughly diagnosed because she has something that is a rare kind of limitation or disability, as she has stated to me. the mistake that is made is that the state capitalizes on something that proves a character issue of a parent that they're capable of lying and that they're capable of drinking in the case of Tamara Clark and saying that they don't drink as a, as a means of suggesting that oh if they're not willing to admit that they've drunken that means they've got a problem so they make a they they make a presumption based on the determination of Tamara Clark to say she never drinks, that she's hiding something, and also that she's lying, because she's also caught because apparently she had evidence from the police, having stopped. Having having stopped by the restaurant slash bar where she was. And. Having evidence proven or a report brought to the court itself that she had fallen and was drinking, etc. The mistake is that we look at that lie and we suggest that she's evil because she lied. That's the terrible mistake. Instead of looking at the context of a mother deprived of her child, naturally lonely, and when she would get her, character, character, her, her standard meal that she would get occasionally downtown, the bar was only within 30 feet of the where she got her, would sit to have her sandwich, or she needed at the bar, and of course she occasionally did, apparently have drink. Worst case scenario, whether she did or didn't, that's not something I'm, I'm actually clear on, and this is now two years removed from the time I was speaking to her. The point I'm getting at when it comes to the DHHS dealing with parents and custody or when it it comes to the court systems dealing with any issues between parties of any kind the relegation of a person to a stereotype as an alcoholic or as someone who's mentally ill in the case of of Kathy Lowell and therefore incompetent and therefore not able to deal with the marital assets, therefore allowing her husband to extort all the marital assets, uh, or, and so on and so forth regarding also the, the power of attorney for Kathy Lowell's mother being taken from her by her siblings, and then angling, of course, next for the conservatorship, and then next for the uh, representation of the will. Ultimately, giving that power to her brother, who then can expropriate that that position of power to commandeer the estate and allow for extortion that would not have been permitted had Kathy Lowell been in charge of the finances, etc., under the role of not only power of attorney but the executor, is that the right word? But certainly the person who represents the parents regarding the estate and the will. So, we also look at Don Juan Moses' case and the stereotype involved there. What was the stereotype? It was that he, because he was accusing Jessica of cheating, was naturally abusive in the process of accusing her of cheating. The judge painting the same picture that pine tree legal Shannon Karam painted, of Moses throwing the Jessica against a table, nearly killing or intending to kill the child in the womb. That's the kind of scenario. The breath being so close that she could smell his breath, her hands bent back, punched on the head, then hitting the wall next, biting the side of her mouth, as she slips to the floor, it's a masterpiece of deception. And the judge, Hookline and Saker, takes the story, which was never even presented in, the, in presented in the DHHS records themselves. When Jessica was given that perfect opportunity to say anything she could to frame Don Juan Moses, two years before. What makes that fresco so carefully painted as if on the Sistine Chapel ceiling by Michelangelo on the part of the defense attorney and the judge Cashman in this matter? What is it that causes them to believe that Don Juan Moses is abusive? That hackneyed cliche that if a man accuses a woman of cheating, He's going to be abusive also. It's a stereotype. It's a sexist stereotype that needs to be removed. And it must be challenged in the court system. A person can indeed accuse another person of being unfaithful and cheating. And or question such a party regarding whether they are cheating. Such parties as to whether they are cheating. And they can do so without being in any way rude, overbearing, abusive, obnoxious, violent. In fact, the accusation of cheating that is provable can lead to outrage not on the party only, not on the part only of the accuser, but on the part of the person ex- exposed. Did this ever occur to the permanency worker Taylor Cipriano? Why, of course, it would have occurred to all of these ladies if they had any knowledge of basic human life experience. However, the biased opinion position requires that they not look at the obvious, which is that if a person's exposed for cheating or is alleged to be cheating, who actually is cheating, and the evidences gather to prove that the person is cheating and find that the evidence is conclusive, that person can be nonchalant about it or this, that person can explode to the point of physical, physically attacking the other party. Did the DHHS take this into cognizance? Why, of course they, they, they might have thought of, about this, but their their agenda was already established. They had premeditated the, the the removal of that child from one home and the placement of it in another. They cannot be wrong, they cannot change their mind, not only because of pride of opinion, but because of policy and economics. They cannot afford to admit that they were wrong and have to confess that they had wasted not only months of time, but redirected people into other activity that, that they should never have entered into in the first place of a false accusation of abuse, and it prevented them from doing the casework that they should have done with, with regard to legitimate cases out there of actual abuse. And then, when Don Juan Moses was cleared of, of, of allegations of abuse because he threatened lawsuit for defamation and bias, within months he discovers that his children are now being abused by the boyfriend that Jessica was cheating with a year and a half before. A year to a year and a half Well, a year and a half before. At which point the DHHS Now cannot admit that it was wrong in another case, in another aspect, and that is that Jessica, whose aunt had already said was abusive, was now allowing this boyfriend to abuse the children and denying that the abuse was taking place. And so they had to conduct a half-hearted interview, a lukewarm interview, and pass it over to Kids Peace, which is a contracting agency dealing with the HHS on moderate low to moderate cases of concern for child abuse. Don Juan Moses, mind you, had a video of a boy arcing his hand, showing a punching movement, demonstrating it, even as Judge Cashman herself admits in her judgment, that it's a very clear punch to the groin. And, of course, the original investigator never saw that video. The supervisor of that, Original investigator who refused to follow up on the second form of abuse begrudgingly shows up at the house of Cheryl White at Jonathan's suggestion so that she can hear that Cheryl White's accusation that Jessica was abusing her son was never taken seriously and was sabotaged by badgering and browbeating DHHS agents suggesting that she was writing this letter in behalf of Don Juan Moses just to protect him as if she were lying to do so. And in that meeting, Monica Williams, the supervisor for the unknown caseworker, looks at the video and she says, okay, is that all, is there another one? And she did that kind of thing. Instead of noticing what even Judge Cashman said, which was that this child said he was punched in the groin. And so the DHHS clearly was taking a position to impugn Don Juan Moses. And to protect Jessica Pinkerton at all costs from scrutiny, because they had already determined to give custody of the child to Jessica Pinkerton. So getting back to the question of justice. Justice is when you look at everything, warts and all, in terms of both parties in a case, but that you look at them in the context and within the circumstance of the overarching issues, the major problems, so that instead of catching somebody in a white lie, which might be to defend the the, the interest of keeping the child, in the case of Tamara Clark, you look at the overarching question whether she's fit to be a parent. Would she indeed be tempted to drink if she has her beloved child with her? Of course not. She was going to AA meeting consistently for considerable periods of time. If, he, if she's not still doing it. I know this because I was personally helping her to get rides either back or far from that, those meetings sometimes. Or called when she was on her way, etc., etc. Et but here's the thing. When you look at irregularities in the life of Kathy Lowell and Jonathan Tucker and Don Juan Moses in the same way, whether at court or whether, or whether in family court where people within families fight over things, you can, you can catch a detail that can frame a person by taking all the unsavory or irregular aspects of their character and piling those on in order to build a case so that the real deeper issues are not addressed of the justice of Jonathan seeing his mother, Kathy seeing her mother, Kathy having her real estate, Kathy being able to represent the parents as a representative of the will, as well as the uh, power of attorney and even the medical uh, 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 health proxy for her parents before the sister sabotaged in that respect. The tendencies for Jonathan and Kathy Lowell and Tamara Clark and Don Juan Moses to uh, make mistakes in our lives does not exculpate the system from having extorted material property, from having extorted children, from having persecuted all of these parties, from having denied Jonathan from seeing his mother, even though in my case there was simply a threat of a restraining order put out by Elias under the auspices, no doubt, of Richard, my brother, his father. That was never issued because mother put her foot down with stepbrother john when i was at the Knox center visiting her when she had a fall and by providence had that fall in order for for me to be able to see her since she was held hostage in the house where elias my brother richard's son lives and the threat of a restraining order hung over me there so at the Knox center i was allowed to see her and did and when john andrews threateningly menacingly shook my hand with his hand when i shook his hand he, he had begrudgingly taken my hand only because he was in the presence of my mother. He would not even give me the time of day had I met him in a shopping mall, as, as has happened at the Walmart in Rockland and in other places. He has rebuffed and defied and despised me, even saying, I really I want to know, I really know what, what you actually did to my father, which is, gets back to a whole other story another time. But the point is, my mother said, I let him know that I wanted him to bury the hatchet. What was that hatchet? It was to stop keeping Jonathan at bay from his mother, among other things, and stop stereotyping him as some religious crazy person who's overbearing with his mother and other people in the family and recognize that the family is family and is inviolate. And my mother told John Andrews that she did not want a restraining order threat hanging over the relationship between her and her son, Jonathan. And so the following morning, after I had confronted John Andrews by remaining until the time he had arrived in the evening, i stood and put my hand out to him, to his terrible chagrin, his mortification. And I had a chance to tell him that his father and I reconciled and that it would be his wish for us to reconcile it unanswerable charges by the power of the Holy Spirit, conviction to the point of complete silence and just a redirection on the part of John Andrews to ask my mother the perfunctory questions, how, what happened today? How are you feeling today? And all that. And the following morning when I saw my mother, I said, how did it go? Were you okay with me <laughs> representing you the way I did and representing the family? And alfred his father my stepbrother's father she said yes she was very happy with how i conducted myself in fact she was quietly very much ecstatically proud of me and would it probably have said what she had said in 2003 or 4 when my stepfather died and i'd spoken stood and spoken at the saint thomas church side room the fellowship hall and at the, at the treasurer's surprise uh, or, or speaker's surprise who at that time I believe one of the speakers still was Robert Furman the doctor on Chestnut Street who knew my family going back, the Tuckers as well as my mother before she married Al Andrews who became the treasurer himself, I said that my stepfather and I reconciled and that I'm very sorry that I had caused pain to him and to others and that uh, we had the wonderful privilege of reconnecting and my mother kissed my hand the way that Al kissed my hand at Maine Medical Center within six months before that after I sat down and after she had stated that was eloquent of you you were eloquent thank you thank you thank you she couldn't be quite so effusive especially under her medical medicalized conditions at the Knox center many years later having been under the freighted effects of double vicodin double Cinnamet, for a considerable period of time and gradually coming off of that after my confrontation of it in vain for a period but ultimately truth prevailed in the hearts of begrudgingly conscientious family members who, whose pride of opinion just dissipated in the interest of advocating for my mother, however tepidly. But at the Knox Center the following day, which was sometime six months ago or so, my mother very clearly told me that I let John know that I don't want that hanging over us. And I didn't ask her what it is, but she meant a restraining order, a restraining order threat. So when we paint the picture of somebody as horrible and toxic or dangerous or irresponsible or incompetent, whether it's Kathy Lowell, whether it's Tamara Clark, whether it's Don Juan Moses or Jonathan Tucker, we fail to do justice. Justice is to discover what the issue is first and to get to the core of that. In the case of Don Juan Moses, is he physically violent toward Jessica and In the altercations with Jessica regarding her cheating, was that necessarily a threat to the safety of the children? That is the crucial question. Not the question of whether he might have inadvertently hurt her when she was attacking him by shutting the bathroom door and causing what she stated was an injury so bad that she lost her hearing. Whether she lost her hearing or not is anyone's guess. It's a classic, wonderful way to allow the child to be taken from Don Juan Moses. Particularly since the DHHS is perfectly free to commit perjury by stating that he took a flat hand to the ear, which would cause deafness, were the strike to be appropriately done. But a bathroom door to the ear, striking it exactly flat, because she's trying to push her way into the bathroom to follow him, does not cause deafness. That has to be a lie. And so, of course, that is why they had the perjury of two different forms of injury to the ear in the DHHS documentation. But enough on that. I didn't plan to expatiate and to carry on so far afield from the basic concern that I was sharing. But nevertheless, all of this hangs together very well. And we come back to the core problem, which is tell the truth. Get to the core problem within the trial within the conflict. Don't get caught up in the details in order to allow for a biased opinion judgment. Do not manipulate the details to create a scenario, a narrative for a biased opinion judgment. Sorry. Good morning. Oops. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? All right. So you work in the... Food area. Do you work in the food area? No, I'm a CNA. Oh, someone looks like you in the food area yesterday that was working up on the second floor with us here. Oh. Um, so I just confused you two. if that's what it is.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of people here.
1: There is, yes.
2: <laughs> Hello. Hi, Charlie. Hello, everybody. Brenda. I guess Jeremy's still in his room. My right? I guess I'll go see Jeremy in his room, huh? He didn't come out, huh? I'll go find out how he's doing. I know why, I know. So, were you?
0: I didn't know,
1: John. I didn't know Evo's main Jeremy Center.
2: Jeremy, was it main medical? No. He, he he used he used to work there oh uh he was in the premi the babies the baby section where the babies the little the little ones he took care of the babies that were premature yeah he actually helped save their lives oops but um I'll go say hi to Jeremy and I'll catch up with you on the way out I'll catch up with you. It looks like you got some good food there, right?
1: Yeah. Right
0: now, we only have chicken cordon bleu.
2: blue. are going to mash this Hi, Lori. Hi,
1: Good morning. Good morning.
2: How are you, Donna? Hey Alexander, how you doing? Look at it, we got beers going. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got this is great.
3: I, got my I know I I've got the eight dollars at the little at the, I've the got
2: the homeless thing going. I'm I'm living a glorified homeless life in a BMW. I kind of do. too, you know. I mean, I don't
3: have anybody water, <laughs> so. It makes
2: for a good storyline later.
3: Yeah. Nobody wants something, I'm trying to figure out what it is. He mm-hmm. you knows what it is?
2: What are you guys on to? What's what's the general topic?
3: You want something to like
2: that? Something to drink? Yeah. But
3: we don't know what it is.
2: The apple juice or orange juice? Yeah. Because they usually like, he likes apple juice.
3: Okay. Well, he just pushed this orange juice away. Oh. So maybe it's apple juice you want.
2: So you you like the apple cider like you had yesterday? No. Nope? Orange juice? Yeah. Orange juice? Yeah.
3: Maybe it's just more Okay.
2: No, I'll go get some orange juice. Wow, it's yeah. good to see you guys. Yeah, I know the beard thing makes us look kind of like we're lobstermen or something. Well, but You know, but uh, it is what it is. I'm going to do the clean look again. Mother always wants me to be clean, you know.
3: Not anymore. She likes the beard now.
2: I'm yeah, sometimes she likes the beard.
3: And Dick wears the beard I guess
2: yeah. <laughs> I know it, Jeremy. I got a love-hate thing going on my beard. I can't wait to clean up. But right now... It's easier on the street, you know, living this way. I never thought it would be homeless, but it's not really homeless. Homeless is when you're out trying to find a place out in the woods. I
3: think homeless is when you don't want to be homeless. You, know, you want to be.
2: Alex, I love it.
3: He looks really good. He's good. And I told Mom he, he was looking a little pinky last a couple times ago, and then now it's starting to up a little bit. But we need to use this arm more. Like I'm trying to take, you know, like just do
2: something. Do you do pull-ups, Jeremy? No with that thing
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: actually he likes that you want that up no. he, he likes it to be put up here yeah i don't know what that is that's i guess that's you so that's so he can help himself a little bit is that what that is jerry yeah i'm really
3: glad i'm really glad you visited it just says because you, you know we didn't plan this it's showing that you're I know it. You know, well, I guess Robin has not Maybe you can invite with Robin. If Robin needs to visit his
2: brothers. I know. He's just so busy. You know, I know. His, he had an engine blowout, which yeah. doesn't help. But you
3: get, okay. Because if he does, he gets a lunch break. No matter
2: what. Okay. Right. I, it's obviously, it's, he's, you know, he's got. What they got
3: to do, I guess, what they feel good about their lives. You know?
2: Well, you know Robin's got a lot of stuff going on. Oh, so. no, we all do. You know, so, I mean, I sympathize. We've all. Even Jeremy used to say that Robin's got a lot we more are. to carry than a lot of us. Right, well, Jeremy? I right. told he, Robin doesn't see his money. It all goes right off into whatever, right? Oh,
3: and, and, and I told Jeremy he was worried about his money. Jeremy was, And I said, no. It, usually, I think it's pretty much, it's all been a check. Everything's going to go, Richie checked, too. It, the money is going really where it's supposed to go. Oh, but okay. i doing a good job. and I wouldn't want that job. Like Elias, I wouldn't want his job. He has to be up all night long, every night. To keep an eye on, on Mom.
2: Well, he's up anyway. What else
3: can do it? No, it's just a blessing, and I don't have to worry. Oh,
2: it is a blessing that uh, mothers cared for all around the clock.
0: Probably see you Friday.
3: But we're not going to make promises, okay? So, because of, because stuff, stuff comes up. If you make promises, like it's amazing, it gets
2: in the way of it. Well, not only that, if you make a promise to Jeremy, he'll he'll remind you of that, yeah. and he, he doesn't like That's it, why right? I will, right? So yeah. I I make promises to you all the time, and I realize I shouldn't do it, Jeremy. Like I say, I'll be back tomorrow, yeah. and then I'm not here, and I'm feeling like, That's oh man. Yeah, because you So your, I shouldn't make promises. No, you
3: make your own guilt like, like that. Right, Jeremy. Almost a sin though, if you tell somebody you're gonna do something and you don't do it, I think it probably is. There's a Bible somewhere. Yeah, there is some there, the there, Yeah, there's
2: something like that. Yeah, don't make vows or 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 if you do make a vow, keep it. There's two different it's a contradiction. They're both things are stated. Uh, so it's better kinda like to try to just not say anything like you said. Well
3: like you don't want to push on it too hard, what I'm figuring out. It's just really nice if you just let it happen. Is this crazy? Look at what happened today.
2: I see my brother Alex. And yes, my my, my sister to... my oh, sister sorry, Donna. About,
3: I kinda missed you a little bit. I haven't seen you in a while. I think we're there before course, but...
2: You know, it's, Last time I saw Alex was at the Shaw's Market in Rockland about three years ago. He was going in for his bottle distribution, his uh, yes. bottle. Of- well, he just so Mrs.
3: Moore or whatever. I, I don't know. It's weird. So I took the old headshot. But, but you know, because his behavior wasn't so good. <laughs>
2: wasn't Look, good. Jeremy still wants to see me. That there's got to be a good sign. I know. I asked him.
3: I said, "Do you show sure you what the did?" <laughs> <So. laughs>
2: yeah. That's the proof in the pudding, man. He's my m- main critic. He's gonna tell me like it is.
3: Avocado, bring him avocado, right? Avocado, Jeremy. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's good for him though. Make it, one for him. Maybe the medicines
2: are interfering with your natural appetite. Yeah, You'd true. like avocados, don't you? With the t- for fresh heirloom tomatoes, olive, olive oil, That's weird. Yeah, cut yeah. up yeah. with yeah. it together. He doesn't want an avocado by itself, right?
3: Yeah.
2: You want it with the whole thing.
3: Yeah.
2: Dad liked the heirloom tomatoes, a little you little know. Feta,
3: but you can't do the cheese, but a little feta.
2: No, I love feta every now and then. I I cheat. Look I'm a cheating. Up. I'm a it's cheating. Like basil and stuff? Oh, you better believe it. I got to yeah. get one from Donna, right, too. Produtos porcinos. Yeah, right? Pork products. My father used to carry us on his shoulder. My father used to carry us on his shoulder uh, from one bedroom to the next. And, and it, he, he, would destroy, he would hit you in the solar plexus when he put your belly right your on his shoulder. No, but when he picked us up, he always blocked our wind so we couldn't breathe. But we're so glad to be carried by our dad that we just put up with the abuse. <laughs>
3: You knew all the points. Definitely.
2: Well, no, he didn't do it on purpose. He just no, didn't. No. But, he wasn't but our belly was right on his shoulder. Our belly was right on his shoulder. And we were just so glad to be honored to be carried. Oh, yeah. Productos porcinos means pork products. And he'd carry us, right, Jeremy? And man, I hated it, but I loved it because I couldn't breathe. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I tell you what, I'm so glad to see you guys. I, you always wear a hat, and I need to do the same because I'm bald, and I, I'm just... Uh, I think I need to start wearing a hat with a little uh, a little dash cam thing, right? a little cam thing right here. I have to Why make sure. Like so <laughs>
3: right, guys. Cheers. Love, you. Cheers. Love you. So It's a modern day. Everybody's got to... It's gotta... good to see him He's always watching. You know what I mean? It's
2: good. He wants us to... I'm so glad you guys are coming back to see him again, too. Good to see you. Love you. That is sweet, huh? That's crazy. Do they come often? It's not very often, right? Uh, Wow. That is crazy funny. I didn't know I was going to bump into this. I haven't seen him for three years. He doesn't talk to me. So you brought us together. Is that sweet? Our older brother brought us together. I'll get you some orange juice. I'll go get some. Alex remembers everything I did wrong, and it's kind of hard to live that way. We got to start somewhere, man. Can we start clean? Dad says uh, <sighs> something about the vis- uh, start over again it's a spanish expression one of the precious moments with dad was where he talked about a spanish expression where you start over empezar de nuevo do you remember dad ever saying that yeah Empezar de nuevo start over he was talking about clean slate all right i'll be right back i'll go get some orange juice you don't want to have lunch you're serving lunch out there no did you eat breakfast? You eat something? Yeah. So you at least have, you're not feeling like you're dying or anything. You got enough food in you? Yeah. Because I want to just tell Robin, I mean, if you're hungry, I mean, if your appetite is affected by the. But um, I did look up the depression med and uh, appetite is affected by the depression med that they give you. But, you, you clearly don't want anything for You don't have depression, do you? They're, they're giving you something for depression, and you don't want that, right? Yeah. Okay. You, you want the pain med, but you don't want the depression thing, right? Yeah. I've, I've already told Robin by a text, so he's the only one that can get you off that, okay? Yeah. All right. Let me get you the orange juice. I'll be right back. Yeah, the side effects for the depression med is appetite change, nausea you ever get nausea? You don't get nausea. But you do have an appetite thing that's affected. Um, Also, kind of irritability and and, um, kind of sleepiness. Those are things that are also caused by this thing. You don't want to be irritable or sleepy. Those are some of the symptoms also for Zoloft, which is the depression med. You know about Zoloft. People don't need that, right? So I will pass it on to him, Jeremy. Let me get you the orange juice. There's my brother. How you doing? Good to see you. Hi, Al. How are you? Good morning.
3: I wonder if you take a couple of trips
0: for
2: me. Of course I can, brother Al.
0: The reason is they, had, they stole all pictures I
2: had in my room. Oh, boy. You need pictures of you and your...
0: Yeah.
2: We will do it. We've got pictures that were taken with you and my mother and everyone. I've got the pictures. We're going to put them out there where you can see them. But
0: I want to get them available.
2: All right. We will
0: definitely... Of course we'll do it. The uh, is stole um, all...
1: Working on it.
2: All right. We'll we do want it.
1: But yeah, sure. I'm gonna
2: get some um, orange juice for Jeremy and I'll be right I guess I'll be coming the through again.
1: I, need, I want to send a picture to my girl.
2: Okay.
1: Wants a picture of me. All right. Send me her too. All right, we'll do
2: that if um, I'm gonna be back and forth here in the next few days, so okay. we'll we'll get to it. I appreciate um, you very much. Oh my pleasure. I just wanna see. Hi, good morning, Steve. I just have to say hi to Steve real quick. I came over to get some orange juice for Jeremy. I came over to get some orange juice for Jeremy. Hanging in there. Where did you grow up? Were you from Maine originally? The West End in Portland. What is it? Spring Street on the West End. Um, the West End is the rich area. No. Oh, that's right. You got the South and the North, which are the rich areas, right? The West End, Spring Street. What is Spring Street near? Like, what is the major business or something? Damforth Street. Okay. That's the West Side, though? Okay. I'm a little disoriented, but... Um, Well, I'm going to get some orange juice for Jeremy, but I'll be coming back and forth. I see you got a lot of pictures on the windowsill. Are the, most of those yours? Um, those are pictures of your family? Oh, I got you. Oh. I hear you. I'm, 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 I, I, I see. Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get some orange juice for Jeremy. And, uh, But I just wanted to say hi. Okay. Just let you know that uh, I always love to see you. Okay. I do. I, I'm not just saying that. You cheer me up. You may not think so, but you cheer me up. I'm not those are not just words. Okay. I I'll um I'll touch base when I come through. Can, can I ask a question? Um, Jeremy just wants orange juice. Who do I ask for orange juice? Oh, was he okay with that? Oh okay, because he wanted orange juice thank you thank you. How are you today, sister? I'm well,
1: thank you. And
2: yourself? Fine, thanks. Like going regular I was going to get orange juice, and she said she got cranberry. Is that okay, or do you want to get orange juice? She got you cranberry juice. Uh, is that, are you good with that, or do you want me to go get orange juice? Orange juice? No. Still? You mean, yes, go get some horses? All right, I'll get some. Yep, you can have the cranberry later. Hi, sister, good morning. All right, thanks. I'm just gonna jump through here quick. Can I get an orange juice um, for Jeremy? He Turns out he doesn't want his cranberry juice right now. Thank you so much. So I guess you guys cross train and do several things. You're not just CNAs and, and nurses or whatever, right? But I'm just saying, you obviously do food, whatever needs to be done. It's a, well, of course, it's, I have to feed my residents. It's just a big, it's a big job to be a CNA. <laughs> Thank you. Here we go, Jeremy. You got some orange juice. Well, this this is down your alley. Tasting wine. This is your life, right? Wasn't exactly mine. Dad knew I was totally out of it. Well, Jeremy, um, I've, um, I'll have i pass it on to Robin then because um, I think your appetite will come back and you'll fill out because you're getting a little skinny. So I think if we get you off that med, you'll have more appetite. You don't think you'll have more appetite? I wish I could... Robin and... That's Robin and Ethan's area, and Ethan came by the other day, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's just... Unfortunately... The one thing I know is that... Whatever you use whether it's the CBD oil or or that it can't be done right here it has to be done off premises or whatever whatever that means like when you're in a vehicle that's you know when we go somewhere or that. so if I have to start using my car more to just take you so we can put I mean I, I would like to try to CBD oil CBD oil to help you Yeah, you want to go see? Uh, t- it's you know, Robbins at work, and his son works now. Yeah. And uh, you know, his son can stop by. And my my concern is uh, because you had the stroke. If you're smoking, it can cause. Uh, I heard that it can can have complications. I just don't want you to get hurt. That's that's the, my major concern. You know, but. That's why I try to steer clear of it and just let you and Robin decide what you want to, want to do with that. But Nick was mentioning the CBD oil, and I think he's right. You know, there's no side effects to it. It's just all healing. It's a healing oil. I He wants me to ask Robin to buy a bottle, and he said, pressure Robin. Make sure Robin does it because he has the money to buy the oil. And... We can't put it on here, but we can put it on off-premises, and I can... Is it because you want the high? Is that what you want? I mean, to be honest, that's what you want. You want the high, the buzz, right? Look, I love the smell of the really good stuff, to be honest with you. I really love it. I just would use it as incense because I don't believe in putting it in my system. You know what I mean? I just don't want you to hurt yourself by tripping up something within your stroke because you have a stroke condition. That was... Only the person that told me honestly is a woman that's a house cleaner that's a friend of Don Juan's named Jessica. You know Jessica. She's a very nice woman. She used to be a medical person, and she's paid more as a non-medical person house cleaning. Ironically, but she told me that a stroke victim has to be careful because smoking can trigger some serious issues. Smoking of anything, uh, smoke into the system. i had never heard that before, but she mentioned that about a few weeks ago. So I'm not, I'm not pretending. I'm just sharing with you what she told. And so I was a little concerned when she told me that. But I want to be hands off with that like I am with the like with they am with the meds. I don't know what you, what meds you're even taking. Why? Because that's between you and Robin, you know. But hi, how are you? Oh, I can get that for you and set it down. Thanks. My brother Alex was trying to communicate with them with that. Wow, that looks nice.
3: Yeah.
2: You know what I should do, Jeremy, is bring some olive oil up from my car.
3: Yeah.
2: Would you, are you hungry enough to eat? Yeah. I'll go get my olive oil. Yeah. I got, or, or do you have a little olive oil in-house? You don't. I'll go get my olive oil, Jeremy, and I'll leave one of my olive oil containers right here on the counter, okay? No. No. No, he, he
1: doesn't. You no. doing no. this?
2: Well, okay. it, you know what it is? It's a tradition in the family that we, with spaghetti you don't cut it. Right, Jeremy? You twirl it. You know, you, thank you. You know how you twirl it rather than cut it. Is that what it is, Jeremy? But the thing is, yeah, she was a little bit surprised about us suggesting something else. Is that what you're thinking? Did you want to twirl it? Is that what you want to do? Let me go get the the olive oil then. I'll be right back. I'm coming back, right back. I'm getting some olive oil from my brother. Good morning. Good afternoon, sister. Hi. I'm coming right back. I'm getting some olive oil for Jeremy.
1: I'll be right back. I'm going to get him some soap.
0: Oh, wait a minute.
2: Sister Kay, thank you so much for being there for Jeremy and for everybody. I I realize that it takes every one of us. Yeah. It really does. Hillary Clinton can mouth those words, parrot those words all day long a In truth, in truth, without um, everybody being part of it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Charlie, I just encouraged her. She had a dream, as you know.
1: Yeah.
2: She had more words in that dream. you know what she said? In her dream last night, she said, not only Carmen, it is my business. Meaning, to, to take care of Jeremy, to make sure he's eating, because that's why she said it's none of your business. Nurse uh, Nina said it, but Carmen said the same thing in so many words. She says, Carmen, it is my business. These are like family to me. I knew these people before you came here. She says, in my dream, I have the courage to say it, but in real life, I don't. I said, Carmen, I said, I said, Carl, I said uh, excuse me. I said, uh, Charlie, when you have perfect love, you won't be afraid. And you will say it in real life. It is my business to know how Jeremy's doing. Yeah. She was told to mind her own business as he, as he was born. And I, I think she's going to have the courage to find yeah, this Hi.
3: Hi, how are you?
2: So, I think she will.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, thank you for making sure Jeremy eats. I want to bring him something back tonight. Okay. He wants roast beef from the donation store. Hi, thank Hi. you. Hi, my brother. Hey, how you doing? Okay, thank you. Your, your name is on the tip of my tongue.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, remember Marciano? Grazia. I know, but I didn't follow that too well. So i oh. I don't watch a lot of TV. stuff. So I never grew up watching TV. Oh. So, but uh, I know it's one of those Italians, Rocco. Rocco. <laughs> That's what it is. Hi, brother Mike. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. Oh, I, you. my mother Nancy. Nice to see you, Nancy. Now, is the Italian on the dad side, mother side, or both? Dad side. Right. Just the dad side. Yeah. You're full-blooded American, full-blooded uh, Caucasian from the yeah. British Isles somewhere, oh. France.
1: Yeah. What? what, what I don't know. <laughs> Scotch? Irish? Oh,
2: Scotch? No. Irish? Scotch? I don't know. You I know don't Italian. know what I am. I just know I'm Italian. <laughs> but anyways, you know that your mother's not Italian by background. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right, right. I'm half Italian. Right, right, right. right. How's your he, brother doing? Good? Well, he, he he wanted to go out and smoke with them because he, uh, to be perfectly honest, he uh, I had a chance to smoke a little bit of um, the other stuff off, oh, uh, yeah. off campus, yeah. and my brother's the one that supplied. Not me, I'm not in that. <laughs> right. And so Jeremy was a little upset because they were heading out to smoke, and, I, and he, he didn't have his device because they, they don't have it up at the nurses' station. Yeah. yeah. And he so said he was a little bit in, the, in a funk. Yeah. So I, I distracted him, which is the best thing. I said, "I'll bring you a sandwich. What do you want?" Yeah. A roast beef sandwich from the gourmet store. That got him changed. Wow. You gotta it's, offer something else to get the, to give the dog a bone. It's funny you yeah. said roast beef. That's what I have for lunch. Okay. At home, I got it from Hannaford. And okay. Yeah. Just made a sandwich. So yeah. that's what I'll do. All the fixings. I think he likes everything on it. So, brother Mike, I got my brother distracted from the whole pot thing to something else. <laughs> I, with somebody else's help, I was able to. That's good. Come up with a that's scheme. That's good. That's nice. And, uh, what, but yeah. You know, we all have our different challenges. Exactly. Exactly. I right. don't smoke and it's legal now right. and so on. No. I just don't like seeing see him smoking because he has no, a stroke no, on no, top no. of him. No, I understand. Because a stroke victim can get hurt by that. Right, right. But that's just me. But I I realized that my brother Robin, when he takes him over to his house, I'd, I'd drive him over to my brother's house and he'd give him that thing and yeah. I'd always wince because I didn't want to be part of it. Oh, it bothers him. you. No, I understand But that. I let Jeremy realize, I let Jeremy know, hey look, I'm not here to tell you what to do. Right. You're hurting yourself. So I drive him back after he got his little buzz on. Yeah. You can only do so much, you know, and and,
3: hey, you're a good brother, that's all I can say. I'm
2: trying to do the best, but you know they have these edible things that have the marijuana medicinal Yeah,
3: yeah. I
2: am all over that because it helps a lot of people. Yes. Uh, But we just have to get that thing going. Yeah. No, I'm just... Yeah. My brother Robin, though, is the only one who... uh, Is that Crystal? It
1: is.
2: Thank you for taking the time. Sure, no
1: problem. I will give my love. To, I will give my love
2: to Don. All right. Close friends with somebody. All right. I won't keep you, brother Mike. Love, Don Juan Moses sends his love to you. All day long, he loved Don Juan was a fellow that used to work here. Oh, I see. And he loves this guy, Mike, big oh, yeah. time, big time. Hey. Who, what's what's not to love? It's right. A good, he's a good man, Michael is. <laughs> Yeah, What's not to love about Mike? Yeah. He's, he's a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you put some time in service? Should I honor you on Veterans Day? No. 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 Nope. No. My dad was in the Navy, but I never served. Yeah. No. I thought about it. I well, no. Nope. It's not for everybody. No. Well, I will uh, get him a sandwich, and I'll be back in yeah. tonight. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: to as she was defending me. She came to me in the fact of the matter of calling me and saying, why didn't I call her and so forth? And she was making gestures as if I made, I had my son stage this all up. She's saying, I don't know what Jessica is going to come at you with. She's going to say this and that. Like if Jessica had an attorney, when Jessica hasn't even gained access to an attorney, she's still seeking legal legal advice from Pine Tree Legal. Um, Jackie Gomes was making assumptions of me staging this with my child, like if she spoke to Jessica already in advance and she is more believing of the complainant than the defendant, who she supposed to be defending.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So uh, you just told me that she has Started to sweet talk to you at the end of this mediation meeting, but you talked about uh, either just that, that was just to make herself look good in front of you and Kathy and so on. But okay, overall, the same spirit prevailed. She was not helping you entirely, there was no moment.